0: I'm never going to like get on my knees and apologize and because I stand by everything that I've ever said They said that I was the number one Islamophobe in the entire country And you know like going undercover, it's great But like sometimes you just want to jump across the table and like really rough these people up. I was like Oh my god, I can't just like give up the fact that I have front row seats. I can't just stand up I have to storm the stage.
1: It's a Serbian warlord who murdered 5,000 people in one day <laughs> So I'm sitting there thinking what? You've got me on the level of a Serbian warlord who <laughs> massacred 5,000 people a day. That's the level you're on as well. That's moment. the
0: level I'm on too. You think that I can go live a normal life and go get a job in the United States where they do background checks? I mean, I can't even get a house. I can't even get a house because my credit's been wrecked. Like I've been financially destroyed. As we've learned over time, right, they never really implemented these surveillance tactics or these counterterrorism tactics against jihadists. It's been weaponized against American patriots, right? So obviously you're gonna have Jews in positions of power and wealth because, you know, and they Jews have super high IQs. And they don't
1: have broken families and they keep them.
0: Well, I guess I'm the exception, Australia. right? I thought to myself, wow, that's the ultimate vindication from being canceled. It's like, you know, eventually getting hired by the president of the United States, right?
1: Information covered up, censorship, corruption, the mainstream media have proven itself to be untrustworthy. I'm here to give a platform for debate, for truth, for open discussion. I'm introducing you to my podcast, Silenced with Tommy Robinson. Who exactly is Tommy Robinson or Stephen Gaxley Lennon with the English Defence League, the EDL? Robinson the problem is the Islamic way. The English far-right Islamophobic act. Since then, there's been organised protests across the country in London, Manchester, Leeds. People in their thousands are marching across. The streets. There is no such thing in this country as a Muslim... Free Dami Robertson. Laura Loomer is a conservative investigative journalist and activist. Loomer's investigations have uncovered fraud and corruption within the Hillary Clinton campaign. Islamic extremism on college campuses, flaws and loopholes within the US immigration system, and widespread voter fraud throughout the US. Luma has traveled around the world for her investigations, and she is mostly known for her guerrilla-style journalism and often conducts ambush interviews on livestream. Because of her effectiveness, Luma was targeted by the left and big tech and is banned on nearly every single social media platform, including Facebook, Twitter, PayPal, GoFundMe, and even Chase Bank shut her down with her access to online banking. The implications of this, I am well too familiar with. As one of the US's leading free speech activists, she certainly has a voice that refuses to be silenced. We're here for my latest episode of Silence, and I'm blessed to have Laura Loomer join me from the United States.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
1: Can I start off, Laura, by saying you look absolutely fabulous. You've gone through a transformation recently.
0: Yeah, I lost a lot of weight. I didn't recognize
1: you. When you come out of the airport, I stand there like, wow. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you. So I guess now that uh, my congressional campaigns are over, and I've just been trying to actually focus on Yourself. myself, right? Because for years, I kind of neglected myself, right? Trying to do all my investigative journalism and my activism. So. Well, you look fabulous.
1: You. Um, this is a gift from me.
0: Thank you so much. I brought you a copy of my book as well.
1: I'm actually sitting, um, I'm a fan, Laura. I've been a fan for years. I'm a fan of your fearlessness, your tenacity, you're like a dog with a bone, you don't let people off, you don't let them get away with it, and it's been exciting to watch. But what I want to know, and what I want to start with, I want to start with your life, but what I want to get to is what drives you. Um, I know that when the cameras are off, this life is very difficult. So when I even put your date of birth in, I realize that you're, you're 30, you seem like you've been around forever right in these politics so you must have started young but let's yeah. let's go back I want to start at the beginning um of Laura Luma's life I think we spoke about it last night went out for dinner but your upbringing
0: yeah so a lot of people always think when they see my age they're like wow I thought you were much older not because I look older but just like you said I've been doing this for a long time right for uh almost 12 years and uh, I got started uh, fairly young, and when I was eighteen years old, uh, when I was in college, I was the president of the College Republicans uh, when I went to college in Miami, Florida. And uh, I kind of used politics as an escape, right? I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional household, as I wrote about in my book. And uh, I'm originally from Tucson, Arizona. and um, my father is uh, from New York. My mother's from England, and I have two brothers and Growing up, you know, I had a brother who uh, is schizophrenic and uh, it created a very difficult uh, family situation, right? Lots of violence in my house. Uh, As a child, I recall the police were at my house uh, multiple times every single week. And so it just got to a point where it was just such a physically violent household that I had to be sent to boarding school. And my other brother, my uh, second brother, was also sent uh, to boarding school. He went off at age seven and I went off at age uh, 12, and my uh, brother, uh, who is uh, schizophrenic, uh, was able to stay at home and, you know, receive more attentive attention, right, uh, from my father, who ended up having custody of us. So um, it was it was pretty difficult. It was pretty difficult upbringing, but from a very young age, right, I got shipped off to boarding school. So when you're 12 years old and you get shipped off, you're pretty much an adult, right? You have to go live on your own, do your own laundry, and live life as an adult.
1: When you say the police were called to your house multiple times a week, yeah, for for violence, mm-hmm. who was the who was committing the violence?
0: My brother, right? Your brother, so, the yeah, schizophrenic have, brother. Yeah. So when you have a, when you have a lot of people, you know, don't understand mental illness, and a lot of people who have uh, these conditions, they become, you know, very violent, and they have enormous physical strength. And
1: um, he was violent you know, to you, yeah, Physi- violent, thi- physically
0: violent towards me, and.
1: How, how, what level of violence?
0: Well, you know, it's you know, my parents were separated, even though they didn't officially divorce until I was 12. Uh, they were living in separate homes, right? And so my father would be at work, and then, you know, my mom would be home <laughs> and uh, at home with my brother. He would just have outbursts. And I remember one time, uh, you know, they had it's called CPS, Child Protective Services, came to my uh, school as a child because. My brother and I would show up to school covered in bruises at times because my brother was just so physically violent and he would, you know, beat the crap out of us. So uh, when you show up to school with your body covered in bruises, they have to report it. Your teachers have to report it. And what do they first think? They think your parents are abusing you. And it's not that my parents were (laughs) physically abusing me. It's that I had a very abusive brother. And so um, I remember one time I was... uh, In the kitchen and he was having one of his outbursts and he actually put a knife to my throat and threatened to stab me in the throat. So that's the kind of violence, right? I write about it in my book and, you know, people often say, wow, you're so courageous. You're so brave. Like, where does it come from? And for me, right, jumping into uh, contentious or volatile political situations doesn't necessarily stress me out or seem very scary or nerve wracking compared to you Know being 12 years old and having a, a butcher knife put against your throat.
1: And from yet so, so, at 12 years old, your parents faced the decision of having you and your brother taken into care
0: my other brother, yeah, my second brother,
1: who are innocent, or shipping you off to boarding school. Mm-hmm. And you were shipped off. My daughter's 12, you met my daughter last night. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine what I can't imagine how she'd cope being sent away from her family at the age of 12. So, what how was that? At 12, when you say boarding school, you had to live at the school? Yeah. Full time?
0: Yeah, full time. So it was it had to be done very quickly, right? Because uh, Child Protective Services otherwise would have taken us out of the house. And so uh, I remember uh, my father having to find us boarding schools very quickly. And uh, there was one in Arizona where I grew up, but it was about four and a half hours away from my home. And so within the course of about two weeks, right, I had gone there, interviewed was able to get a partial scholarship and then my bags were packed and I was uh, attending the school I started late I started later than uh, the other students because I had to join under you know special circumstances and then my brother got shipped off to a boarding school on the East Coast so uh, you you live there you you have to live in a dormitory you have um, you know all of your belongings there you have to wake up in the morning and they have a strict dress code. Uh, you have to be at uh, the dining hall in the morning by seven a.m. Go to classes and kind of like a you know strict regimen. And then you only go home on holidays sometimes. And yeah, that's what I did. Sometimes went home on holidays. Sometimes I didn't.
1: How how do you feel about that? How 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 do you feel if you don't mind me digging on that? Because I. Well, okay. I write
0: about it in my book, and I say that, you know, going to boarding school and, you know, living in a dorm, I guess, and having to grow up so fast was better than than getting the shit beat out of you, right, in But it robbed me of my childhood, for sure. And yeah, I feel yeah. like I don't really have a lot of nice family memories, right? I don't really have a close relationship with my family. I don't really go home often. And, uh, people tend to think, oh, well, you know, when you're, when you're famous, people tend to have all these misconceptions about what your life must be like, right? They think you must be rich. They think you must uh, have the best family. And, you know, I, I care about my family. I love my family, but I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm close with my family. I don't really go home as an, as an adult. And it kind of makes you feel estranged. And I look at other people sometimes and, you know, I see you with your kids and I see how close everybody is. And. Just how, you know, you have this friendly banter back and forth with your children. And I don't know, I just, I don't really, I can't relate because I care about my parents, right? But it's not like I really have, we talk about work, we talk about politics, we talk about, you know, things that I'm involved in. I wouldn't necessarily say that I have deep conversations with my family about, you know, my personal life or,
1: you know, my dating life or... Do you feel resentful for the decision they made by sending you and your brother off rather than sending the other, rather than sending the child? At times,
0: so? yes. Yeah, I do. I do feel resentful at times because, you know, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed and, you know, it's eventually your parents die someday, right? My parents are still alive, thankfully, but then what? You have your brothers and I don't really have a connection with them.
1: So you've lost I, know know sounds,
0: I know it sounds kind of bizarre, but I feel like I am an only child, even though I have two brothers.
1: Well, because you've, you've been like Charles, because you've been separated from them. And, and
0: well, I don't have memories with them because going to boarding school at 12 years old and then your other brother being, you know, he was, what, 10 at the time and my other brother is seven. So I'm 30 now. Most of my life I've been away from my family and outside of my home. I so, don't ever go back. I mean, they're in Arizona and I'm in Florida.
1: Do you think this is partially the reason you're, because I'd say, I'd say, looking at you, you're a, a very strong lady you've stood in the face of so much adversity and you've continued which is very rare because people collapse under the pressure you've been under we'll get we'll get on to what you've done in your career and life but do you think maybe this up because you've had to stand on your own since the age of 12 do you think this is the this could be the reason that you've been able to continue in what you've done yeah life?
0: definitely i mean when you when you are i guess forged in you could call it being forged in fire, right? From a rather young age, uh, you have no choice but to grow up. You have to deal with very adult situations and mature situations that most children sure. never have to deal with. And that's not really something that a child should be subjected to. You shouldn't have to have the police at your home every single day on uh, you know, just an average week. You shouldn't uh, you know, be subjected to physical and verbal and emotional abuse uh, from a young age, right? You shouldn't have to be shipped off and, you know, deal with everything that comes with, you know, transitioning from, you know, being a child and, you know, turning into a woman by yourself, right? Without having
1: your without, parents there to help you. With the love, without, without having love around you.
0: Yeah. And I, I you know, I, I had everything that I needed. It's not like I was homeless, right? I mean, I went to boarding school and some people would say, oh, well, there's, you know, there's people in the world that are impoverished, right? And there's people in the world that have nothing. <laughs> At least you, you know, you had shelter. But at the same time like yeah, it's not really about money though. I mean, you go to third world countries or you go to impoverished places and you see that they have, you know, strong family ties and it's not everything, right? Just having having food and having shelter isn't necessarily no, everything. No, I'd say love family is more. Love and family is important. More, yeah, and so, you know, I that was kind of the mentality with my family growing up is, "Oh, don't complain. Just be lucky that you're at boarding school and not at home with your brother." <laughs>
1: So you've gone to boarding school. Did you do well at school?
0: Yeah, I did well. So I uh, was in, you know, a great student. I always excelled. I remember uh, always receiving the academic awards, right? And all of the uh, academic ceremonies, sometimes people's parents would come. And I always would remember sitting there with you know, students whose parents would show up, kids that were kind of degenerate, right? and whose parents sent them to boarding school for behavioral reasons, but their parents would show up to support them, even though they knew that their kid was never going to win an academic award. <laughs> and then I just remember I won every single academic award for all of my subjects, and you know my parents were never there for any of the academic uh, ceremonies. And mind you, they were hours and hours and hours away, but still, it's just this kind of idea of, okay, well, you know, just do what you have to do. You're in boarding school, but...
1: So you excelled at school and there was no one there to see you see to see your success or i know like i i can't understand that because my my mum has always been there every step of my life i mean and they, is they
0: and they would take the phone calls and it's not like my parents are neglectful right i don't want to make it seem like they completely neglected me but but you know there is something to it when you're growing up and you get shipped off at 12 and you know the better decision when when other people hear the story it's like well why don't they just send the the brother with the schizophrenia off as opposed to keeping the other two at home. Yeah. So it's difficult. And, you know, I, I have vivid memories of receiving all these academic awards and just no one being there. one's there. Yeah.
1: So you've been, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so you got these academic awards. You left school at what age?
0: So I then graduated on my 18th birthday, believe it or not. So my high school graduation at my boarding school was on May 21st, and I turned 18 uh, that day. And um, you know, my uh, my father and my stepmom came up for um, my graduation. And then after that, I you know spent the summer leave believe I spent that summer abroad, and then I went to college. I. First, did a semester at a school called Mount Holyoke, which was a uh, all women's college, right? Used to be like Harvard for women when Harvard was all men, right? And I thought to myself, okay, I'm gonna go to the most prestigious school that I can uh, get into. I wanted to go to Dartmouth, was waitlisted, right? <laughs> I had my dreams crushed. And so I thought, okay, I'm just gonna go as far away from Arizona as possible, right? To be as far away from my family as possible.
1: So you're running. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And so I went to Massachusetts and I hated it. I mean, just going to this, you know, women's college surrounded by all these militant feminists who just hated everything that I stood for as a conservative. So I transferred after one semester, I just couldn't take it anymore. I had a 4.0 GPA, which is the highest you can have in college. And I excelled. It's not like I couldn't keep up with the academic rigor of the university. I just couldn't handle being in such a leftist environment. So I moved to Florida after one semester and and you know, he found myself living in Miami, going to school there
1: and your um your conservative views where of that where did they come from?
0: You know it always just made sense to me to be conservative. I didn't grow up right in my house because I went to boarding school, <laughs> but you know being um, you know in Arizona and I grew up in a conservative household, I wouldn't say that politics was shoved down my throat, but my first very vivid political memory. Uh, as i as I write about in my book, and what really uh shaped my formative political views as a as a child and then as a teenager and then eventually as a young adult uh was nine eleven right i was uh I was eight years old when nine eleven happened and I you know remember watching it like it was mm-hmm. yesterday. I think everybody remembers where they were when nine eleven happened and really was a a child who was a byproduct of the war on terror. So I grew up, you know, watching the war on terror and being immersed in nonstop news coverage back to back. And because my house was so chaotic as a child, before I went to boarding school, I found myself just locking myself in my bedroom most of the time to escape the chaos. Right. And I would just watch TV and there was a television in every single room in the house. And it was always on the news. And I just remember watching all the footage from, you know, the wars in Afghanistan, the wars in Iraq and you know the the hunt for all of the jihadists around the world and you know i took a took an interest to it i remember um as a as a kid and uh, i wrote about this in my book as well uh, where can
1: let we're on this this is your this is your book here yeah let me get it loomered. you've been lumed and where? and this is your life story
0: <laughs> yeah it's not a biography so Uh, you know, people will say, Oh, you're only 30, and I published that when I was 28. So they're like, Oh, how do you have an autobiography? You're so young. I feel like you've been active, you can
1: write free. (laughs) I've been researching everything you've done, you can probably write free. and the
0: book originally was 700 pages, and the publisher said, Look, it's too long, you got to cut stuff out. So now it's 400 pages, and I'll probably write another one. But, um, but it's called Loomered How I Became the Most Banned Woman in the World. Uh, because I am I am the most banned woman in the world I only recently got my Twitter account back now that uh, you know Elon Musk has purchased Twitter uh, but I'm still banned everywhere else and I was really one of the first to be completely silenced I think people like you and you and me and Alex Jones and Katie Hopkins probably had it the worst yeah, out of everybody else
1: and I agree and and we'll get on to everywhere yeah. there because you, you've been totally vindicated as well I'd say
0: I've been vindicated but I haven't received the, you know the uh yeah,
1: the, the, I
0: guess the 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 praise or uh the what do you call it like the riches that come with actually being vindicated. I'll say you so in sense you people you're a, are ungrateful right? We you've been vindicated You're as in an well. identical
1: position to me. <laughs> people still want to leave you there and then when it's acceptable now to for for the debate that's happening now right they don't they want, want to, to talk it.
0: about it and they just forget it and they try to act like it's new and it's like I find the trend line is generally I'm 3 2 to 3 years ahead of the national news cycle. And so I'll say something and then 2 years or 3 years later it becomes mainstream media and they'll have all these people that were criticizing me and calling me a white Talking supremacist and a Nazi who are now the experts when they were condemning me for my views, right? And you're you know, you're a very relatable person because <laughs> you're like you're like the male version of me, right? So um you know, there's no reward. Yeah, we're vindicated, but nobody ever says, "Wow, you know, Tommy Robinson was right or Laura Lumer was right." They just say, "In fact, in fact, we're going to not in talk fact, about that." They
1: bash you first. They bash, they bash you. you. They, 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 like they'll sit on TV and they'll condemn you because then it makes them acceptable to talk about it. <laughs> it, it makes it, them acceptable,
0: ins- or they just say they can't counter what you say, so they just say, "Oh, they're crazy, or they're a criminal, yeah. or oh, you know, Laura." she's a crazy conspiracy theorist or she's been arrested, you know, she's a criminal. Like they say about you, you're crazy. They call you Islamophobe. I mean, they call us the same thing and they say anti-Muslim conspiracy theorists. And there's just so much more to what I've done in my life. I mean, they act like I've only dedicated my entire career to, you know, anti-Islam or anti, um, anti-jihadist counter-terror activism. Can we go back, and it's can just we go, not, the, not can, the case.
1: Can we go back then to the start of your career? Yeah. You've gone to, You've come out of boarding school, you've excelled, you've gone to college, you've excelled. When do you start your journalism?
0: So when I uh, went to college, when I transferred uh, to Florida and Miami, I went to a place called Barry University. Uh, My major was actually broadcast communication and political science. And so I was the president of the college Republicans and then studying broadcast journalism as well. And at the time, I didn't have my own publication, right? I was just a student. And back then, I actually had a Facebook account, right? <laughs> and back in those days, you could post whatever you wanted on Facebook and you wouldn't get banned, right? So I remember, you know, my commentary and all of my posts and, you know, uh, my my views about Islam and about, uh, you know, the counterterror movement or uh, Islamic migration. And I went to college with a lot of students, right, who were from Saudi Arabia. And so... You know, I faced a lot of anti-Semitism as well, (laughs) because I am Jewish, and um, going to school with some of these Islamic students, not all of them, but their first line of attack on me um, was to call me a filthy Jew, right? I mean, I have very Jewish features. I had a nose job, and so I had a a more, like, predominant Jewish nose before I actually, you know, had my nose done. But um, I remember even in boarding school, right, we had students from Turkey and... From a very young age. I mean, I think I was called a kike for the first time when I was 15 years old in boarding school. Okay. So, so you
1: got very so you got to understand So I got the to understand the
0: hatred, right? The hatred that, you know, is derived from that ideology from a very young age.
1: Yeah. You've experienced it.
0: Yeah, it's not like I was indoctrinated to to uh, you know think a certain way you know I grew up of course watching watching the news and you know studying the war on terror and as a kid right I remember I liked Pokemon cards and a lot of kids were playing with the Pokemon cards but I had those uh, those um, most wanted right you know those jihadi most wanted cards that the CIA and the FBI issued that had all of the uh, all of the terrorists on them
1: yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> used.
0: So that's what I was playing with, and I just remember as a kid, I would bring those to school, and I would sit there and I would play with them.
1: <laughs> Have your so. views somewhat changed on the war on terror, the war on terror? From it what, has, from yeah, what you were because told?
0: because now you know we grew up, kind of, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but told, oh, we need the Patriot Act, we need uh, you know all these counterterrorism tactics to combat jihadists, jihadists, and the global war on terrorism, but then. Ultimately, the Patriot Act paved the way for <laughs> tactics of deplatforming. A lot of people don't know this, right? And I write about this extensively in my book. But
1: what's the um, Patriot? What's the Patriot act, for those who have never so heard of? So the, the
0: Patriot Act was established right under the Bush administration, uh, directly following uh, 9/11, and essentially it was, um, you know, an act that was created uh, by the United States government. Uh, as a way to what they claimed was going to increase uh, the national surveillance state for the sake of, you know, keeping Americans safe. And they said, okay, we're going to bolster TSA and uh, it paved the way for, you know, mass government surveillance and spying on the public. What's TSA? like the uh, security, security agency at the airport, when you're going through the the security. Uh, But everything we now see, right, the the entire world changed after after 9-11. And they used the Patriot Act uh, as an excuse to be able to spy on people, surveil them, uh, monitor their conversations and store and collect enormous amounts of data all in the name of patriotism, right? Oh, we all need to unite together to, you know, to stand together, rah, 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 America, America, you know, <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta combat these jihadists. <laughs> but as we've learned over time, right, they never really implemented these surveillance tactics or these counterterrorism tactics against jihadists. It's been weaponized against American patriots, right? Which is ironic given the name Patriot. <laughs> the Patriot Act, right? Mm-hmm. So now these, these tactics of deplatforming, and a lot of people don't know this, but the tactic of completely digitally exterminating somebody and banning them online and you know, surveilling them on certain keywords, like you probably have been banned or people support you have been banned for actually typing the word Tommy Robinson just like with me with Facebook when they labeled me a dangerous individual along with Gavin McGinnis who you had on your show and others as well literally people would be banned for just typing the word Laura Loomer
1: and they'd go back through history they
0: labeled me as a designated terrorist when they banned me and so when um when ISIS and you know Al-Qaeda and Hamas Hezbollah all these different groups were trying to and the Taliban of course trying to recruit members to join their cause, they were using social media, and that's how they were able to get so many young people and, you know, have this global movement of, of, of young, what do they call them, lone wolves, right, who would, you know, just be sitting at home, or they'd be able to convert an American college student who would then, you know, take a plane ride over to Syria and take arms and join ISIS. The United States government and the FBI and the CIA developed the tactic of deplatforming for the sake of digitally exterminating jihadist networks online so that they weren't able to recruit and spread propaganda. But now, right, what has that been used to do? It's actually us. been used to target <laughs> us. So when we try to say, oh, I feel like I'm being treated like a terrorist, no, we really are being treated like terrorists because the entire concept of deplatforming and this. This unholy alliance between the big tech social media companies and the intelligence agencies like we've seen in the United States, and I'm sure it's probably very similar in the UK, right, where you have uh, big tech officials working with uh, intelligence officials like we saw in the 2020 election, the FBI having meetings on a weekly basis with Facebook and Twitter. They work with these officials to target people that they view as enemies of the state enemies of the state. Problematic for the state. Problematic, right? Political dissidents, people who are a problem uh, to uh, the current regime uh, in charge, or people that question the status quo. And so uh, that's where it comes from. And a lot of people don't know that. And they think, oh, it's just because your views are controversial. But now we've seen, um, and I've talked about this in my lawsuit, right, that I filed against uh, the big tech companies, you actually have such a twisted situation where deplatforming was created to counter counter terrorism, right? Counterterrorism movement, but now you have the Taliban having access to Twitter, where people like you and I are not allowed to have social media. I'm now back on, but uh, there was a whistleblower that came out, as is outlined in my lawsuit, that Facebook was actually auto generating pages for ISIS and Al Qaeda. What do you mean? so they were actually auto generating like using bots and their algorithms to auto generate and populate content for terrorist organizations online
1: wow why would they be doing that
0: well because i do believe that that's the content that they want to they want to promote they want to they want to promote that and look a lot of a lot of people don't know this as well and this is one of the things i got banned for exposing but there's a lot of islamic influence in tech Right. Prior to the whole shakeup of Twitter and, you know, Elon Musk now owns it. And so prior to that, right, you had all these shareholders and uh, Prince Ali bin Saudi, Talal, yeah. uh, who uh, has, you know, been accused of financing uh, terrorism on a global scale uh, in um, in Saudi Arabia, was uh, the second largest shareholder. 40%? Did he?
1: Did he? Oh, I'm original. not sure of
0: the exact number, but he was the second largest shareholder at a time. And... You know if you look at american media as well at one point in time fox news which people like to say is a Saudi our network. conservative media network right it was owned by saudis yeah. they have a very large share in it so how do you expect big tech to be countering uh islamic terrorism right how do you expect the the media to be countering uh jihad or uh you know promoting you know proper immigration policy to keep Americans safe or to keep people safe and to bolster national security when they're completely bought and owned by the people that the United States government said they created the Patriot Act to combat in the first place.
1: It's insanity. You know, even when, when I was removed off Twitter in 2017, I was removed for stating that for, um, 90% of convictions for grooming gangs, which is groups of Muslim men who rape children, are Muslim. And that's why I said, yeah. and I said 30% were called Mohammed. They're facts. And I it's was, the
0: number one name in the UK now.
1: Mohammed, yeah. Mohammed. Yeah, yeah. And not just the UK, many, many European countries Many countries, countries now. but in the UK. Uh, even Ireland now, in Galway. In, in Ireland, the number one name is, is Mohammed. But when I was removed, I looked up who the lead, the, the lead, uh, the lead face was for the UK, for Twitter, and he was Muslim. Yeah. And I was like, then I realized, I thought... No, well, they
0: have a lot of Islamic influence and yeah. the same at Facebook as well and... You know, I got banned on Uber. And why Lit. did you?
1: Why, why did you get to explain? Let's let's start. We're on we're on the the deplatforming. Why were you deplatformed from Twitter?
0: <laughs> so I got banned on uh, November 21st of 2018, so years ago, uh, for uh, exposing Ilhan Omar. And for people who don't know who that is, Ilhan Omar is a current Congresswoman. But the time that I exposed her, she was not a Congresswoman. She was running for office, and she's a uh, Muslim migrant from Somalia who committed immigration fraud, and uh, she's a jihadist. And I... What immigration, was, for,
1: what immigration fraud did she commit?
0: So uh, you, you, I, I exposed the fact that she came here from uh, Somalia at a young age, and she uh, married her brother as a way to get a student loan money for her brother um, while she was still married to another man. Okay, it was immigration fraud, so her brother could be here. She was literally married to her brother, and in Minneapolis, where she is running to represent, now she currently represents, and Minneapolis is one of these you know, jihadi hot zones. It's actually her district in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's Minnesota 5. is actually the number one recruitment location in the entire United States for ISIS terrorists, according to the FBI statistics. And you have these Islamic centers, and you have mosques, like one of them in particular is called the Dar al Farooq Islamic Center, where you have all these men who are getting arrested, right? Trying to leave Minneapolis to go to Syria to join ISIS. And what do they all have in common? They're all going to this one Islamic center that happened to endorse this Congresswoman, right? And then it's the first state in the country too, to have an Islamic uh, Attorney General, Keith Ellison, who was the first Muslim member of Congress. And so prior to- And they were sworn in
1: on the Quran, right?
0: They did, yes. And, um, you know, when I was doing my my activism, I. You know, I've done a lot. I used to work for Project Veritas, but when I was independent and at this time when I was banned, my focus, a lot of it was on combating anti-Semitism and also exposing the uh, Islamification of US politics, right? So that's why a lot of people will say, oh, she's an anti-Muslim activist, even though I've done so much more throughout my career, because when I exposed Ilhan Omar for marrying her brother, people said, oh, that's crazy. How You wouldn't be able to run for office if you married your brother. <laughs>
1: Years later, everyone they, called me,
0: <laughs> they called me an anti-Muslim conspiracy theorist. And then two years later, Tucker Carlson is saying it on TV. She married a brother and Donald Trump is at his rallies talking about how she married a brother. So it's mainstream, but I got completely deplatformed everywhere. And the tweet that I posted where I, you know, I said that she, um, you know, married a brother, the tweet that ultimately got me completely banned everywhere, uh, was a tweet in which I said, Ilhan Omar, after she got elected, um, I was talking about what a travesty it was, and I said that she was pro-Sharia and anti-Jewish, and I said that under Sharia, women are oppressed and homosexuals are killed. All factual.
1: <laughs> and why, why? Why did you say and she's pro-Sharia? She,
0: because she is Sharia. She wears a hijab. Yeah. She wears a hijab, and that's a form of Sharia adherence.
1: Okay.
0: And that's all factual information. Yep. Other people in the United States have said it.
1: But you were but, me, that you. But you, because you were... I had
0: exposed it. And uh, the Washington Post reported actually that George Soros had actually paid for, he actually, this is a real report. <laughs> how crazy it is. Yep. Shortly after I was banned from Twitter and then banned everywhere else, the Washington Post came out with a report that said that George Soros had actually paid for uh, a study in the spread of Islamophobia online in United States politics and how it impacted American politics. And um, in this study, they found that My tweet was the number one Twitter account. My Twitter account was the number one Twitter account, even surpassing President Trump's account in information exposing and countering Ilhan Omar. And so they needed her, right? They needed this jihadist woman in order to get into Congress uh, to to spew their progressive, uh, pro-Sharia, you know, anti-American message, okay? And she's been very destructive. And so (laughs) you actually had... Uh, An investigation paid for by George Soros. I mean, I'm not making this up. You can look it up yourself and see uh, into my Twitter activity and the, I guess you could say the damage that, that my tweets cause Ilhan Omar and the Islamic organizations that were supporting her.
1: And then there was pressure put on Twitter and that's why they removed you.
0: Yeah, there was, uh, there were meetings, there were meetings uh, with, you know, Islamist organizations that, you know, contacted Twitter and just like they did to you right you have you know (laughs) islamic organizations uh that you know call themselves advocacy groups and uh they put Pressure on Twitter, exactly,
1: and and they are most of them are NGO organizations that are funded. Yeah, multiple,
0: multiple Islamic organizations uh, throughout the country, throughout the country, and really the entire world. Because when I was on Twitter, there was a point in time when my tweets were banned in France. Right, you couldn't access my tweets if you lived in Germany.
1: No, and and these are tweets that nothing's criminal, nothing's inciting hatred. They're factual tweets. No,
0: they're factual. But you had influences from around the world, but specifically Islamic organizations, um, you know, many of which have ties, right, on an international level too. Yeah, they, they uh, terrorist organizations, right? I mean, there were there were there were there were national, like local in the United States, but also international um, Islamic media figures and organizations that publicly took a stance calling for me to be completely deplatformed, and ultimately Twitter succumbed to that, and uh, as a result. Um, you know, I was completely deplatformed, and then there was a you know big spread about it
1: uh, I mean, in
0: the Wall Street Journal as well. It's not like I'm making this up; like they no, admitted to it. Yeah, they all admitted to it as well. And, well, the the, the Islamic well, and groups the Sor- to and the Washington, it. yeah, they admitted to it, and then also uh, this report that was published in the Washington Post about the investigation paid for by you know Soros's organization. So they said that I was the number one Islamophobe in the entire country, just like they say that you're the uh, number one Islamophobe in the UK. And you that's why they wear that, wear that they as said, a badge of honor. They said, Laura <laughs> Loomer is the number one Islamophobe in the United States of America.
1: Go on, go. Well done.
0: She needs to be banned on all social media. And... <laughs> They used it as an excuse, right? Oh, well, Twitter banned her for anti-Muslim hate speech. Even though we're supposed to have a First Amendment in the United States of America, there's no such thing as hate speech. Can I ask you... The Supreme you, Court has already has already ruled that there's no hate speech exception to the First Amendment.
1: And can I ask you, when they label you as anti-Muslim, are you anti-Muslim?
0: No, I'm anti-Islam. But I'm not anti-Muslim. I don't hate Muslim people. You know, there were actually Muslims who uh, volunteered on my uh, congressional campaign when I ran for office because they liked my message. Because there are Muslims who live in the United States who are, they're completely detached from what Islam in its purest form is like for actual, you know, fully... Practicing Muslims in the Islamic world. They say, you know, we have freedom of religion in the United States of America I personally don't believe that Islam is a religion. It's a political ideology, which is where people go wrong I agree and so when they come to the United States, right, they get to think oh well, it's freedom of religion No, you would You know be considered to be living a haram lifestyle like your average Muslim living in the United States of America would be uh, would be sentenced to Punished death under, under Sharia, yeah. under Sharia in a traditionally majority, uh, Muslim, uh, Sharia compliant country. And so Muslims in the United States will say, oh, I'm Muslim because my grandfather's a Muslim or a Muslim because my, my mother's a Muslim. And yet they have never read the Quran. They don't speak Arabic, right? Majority of Muslims don't speak Arabic, right? Over 80% of the Muslim world does not speak Arabic. Uh, but you have Muslims that don't even know what's in the Quran. But they just call themselves, right, because they, they, seem to think. they seem to think, right, because their family's Muslim, but they don't know anything about it. Mm. So I don't hate Muslim people. I think that Islam is completely incompatible with Western civilization. It's completely incompatible with the values in the United States Constitution, which is derived from the Bible, okay? And given the fact that, as you know, and, uh, you know, everybody watching, right, your fan base, my fan base, or people who are perhaps new and are going to go explore on their own, Islam calls for uh, for the death of non-Muslims. So why should I be, you know, pro pro Islam as a Jewish conservative woman when the tenets of Islam call for me to be subjugated and killed for simply existing as as the person I was born onto in this planet?
1: I just want to clear up their lie as well because when they call you anti-Muslim. That it's a lie, but same as me, I'm, I get called anti-Muslim, I'm not anti-Muslim, I'm against Islam, but I see, I see Muslims as victims of Islam.
0: Yeah, the biggest victims of Islam in the world are Muslim women themselves, and so I consider myself to be a human rights activist. And that's why when they called me anti-Muslim and they banned me everywhere, it was just so egregious, because, you know, I had a massive following on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and I remember I would get these messages from these Muslim women in distress, right? Like I went out to Hamtramck, I went to Dearborn, which are Muslim hotspots in the United States, like Sharia hotspots, right? Uh, Where they actually have honor killings and female genital mutilation and things like that, like zero assimilation whatsoever. Just towns that have been completely overrun by Islamic migration. And I remember getting messages from Muslim women in distress who were begging me to help them. <laughs> like, can you help me escape? And there was actually a woman that I knew and uh, Escape America. No, escape their abusive homes in America, in America because America, they were yeah. they were living in abusive um homes with yeah, yeah. with men that would beat Force them and marriages. they wanted to leave Islam. They wanted to leave, they wanted to defect. Mm-hmm. And under Islam, right it's considered apostasy and you could be killed if you defect from Islam. Mm-hmm. And um There were, you know, without disclosing the identity of the woman, there was a woman that I met in, uh, in Michigan that actually runs an operation out of a church and, uh, she helps it's under the guise of helping, uh, Islamic immigrant women, um, learn English, but she actually brings them there, locks the doors and comes up with an escape plan and tries to help them like assimilate into Western culture, right? Like how allows them to take their hijab off in the, in the privacy of a church with the doors locked, how paints their nails, Right. Things that you're not really allowed to do as a... as a, uh, Well, gives them freedom. Gives them freedom and then helps them plan an escape plan so that they can escape uh, the abuse. But I was helping people. I was trying to help people. I was trying to advocate for human rights. And they just said that I hated all Muslim people, which is just not true. And so my Wikipedia page probably reads worse than your average serial killer. And so many people in the world who have never met me think I'm some evil person. They think I'm like some raging you know neo-nazi muslim hater when in reality i just like you right i mean yeah, yeah there's a lot of muslim people that like me
1: yeah i know and
0: just like there's a lot of muslim people that like you
1: you didn't um you didn't take the banning from twitter like most other people did you went full steam ahead <laughs> can we talk about that
0: yeah, I... Uh, you
1: pulled some stunts. I, pulled, say, I
0: definitely did, yeah.
1: Ex, explain, because and they're stunts that actually, when I watched back, when, when the Twitter files have now come out, you have not just been vindicated, but you were there screaming it. Literally what?
0: screaming. I mean, I physically handcuffed myself to the headquarters of Twitter.
1: And you were warning <laughs> the Republicans at that time. So before, yeah. before Twitter censored and, and swayed elections... You were screaming warnings to the Republican party <laughs> of what was going to happen. Can you talk yeah, to me so, about it?
0: um, You know, before I was banned everywhere, I was, and look, a lot of people only became free speech activists once they got banned. I saw this stuff coming from a mile away even before I got banned. So I was confronting Twitter executives and Jack Dorsey and, you know, advocating for free speech absolutism even before I got banned on any social media. And when I still had my account in uh, September of 2018, Uh, Jack Dorsey, who was then the CEO of Twitter uh, prior to, you know, stepping down and then Elon Musk purchasing the company, um, Jack Dorsey uh, was testifying in front of Congress during the uh, tech censorship hearing. And these Republicans were just like so naive. They didn't even know the proper questions to ask him. And uh, I just remember that I flew to D.C. and I decided that I'm not going to let him get away with lying, lying under oath. And uh, I was able to wait in line, got a seat. (laughs) At the congressional hearing it's all on video and you see Jack Dorsey just sitting there and these these members of Congress Okay, mr. Dorsey. So, um, are you uh, instituting algorithms to censor conservatives? Oh, no, we're not doing that and Yael Roth who was then the head of Twitter trust and safety who we now know right? uh, Was having weekly meetings with the FBI and played an active role in censoring people was sitting right behind him. And I just stood up and I started screaming at him from the back of the congressional hearing room. I completely disrupted a United States congressional hearing. And I said, um, I said, you're a liar.
1: It's aged very well. I said, that you're video a liar. I said,
0: uh, you are censoring conservatives and you are shadow banning them in an effort to steal the election. And then I made it all the television cameras were, were broadcasting live at the time. So like CNN, everybody, um, Even like foreign press was there, I believe, like BBC, because I I remember it was international when when this video um, was recorded. And I said, "Um, you're trying to steal our election. And I looked into one of the news cameras and I said, and I am asking you, President Donald Trump, because he was still president at the time. Help us. Please help us, Mr. President, before it's too late, because Jack Dorsey is trying to influence the election to sway the election so that the Democrats can steal the election. That is why he is shadow banning and censoring conservatives this was online. Two,
1: this was two word f-
0: for word, that's what I said. Yeah. And they just mocked me. And they, the Republicans were controlling the hearing at the time and they asked for me to be escorted out by police. And they decided, one of them, uh, this congressman from um, Missouri named Billy Long, who's no longer in office, he started auctioning me off because he was an auctioneer prior to uh, being in Congress. So, you know, the auction voice, I can't even do it because my voice, I can't talk that fast. (laughs) Like, yeah, right? Like that fast, like just trying to make an entire mockery of it. And he thought that he was being so clever and cute by auctioning me off, but he wasn't auctioning me off. What he was doing is he was paving the way for the president of the United States to eventually be deplatformed for our elections to be censored. And he was auctioning off free speech in front of the big tech tyrants or the big tech Mafia, as I like to call them,
1: which is why, which is why, sitting in now, when I watch, I watch that word for word what you said in two thousand eighteen, and you pleaded with Donald Trump, and word for word, exactly what you said has been totally proven with, since Elon Musk took hold of Twitter, and we got to see the Twitter files.
0: And it's and exactly, and it's my tweet. so it's tweet. not a conspiracy. Theory. No, <laughs> and it's my pin tweet. I will never delete that tweet. I will never remove it from my pin tweet because because it's just so prophetic. And so,
1: how do you feel about that? Because how, how, you haven't had again. Once again, you haven't had. I'd say the gratification. You haven't had the um, award. You haven't had people sit back and realize that you were way ahead of the game.
0: It pisses me off.
1: I can imagine. I mean, it I'm fucking
0: enraged, honestly. Okay. And <laughs> nothing enrages me more. Than watching that video clip and knowing how my life was completely destroyed. 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 And that's not an exaggeration, right? People will say, oh, come on, get over yourself. Like, your life's not that bad. You're in Spain right now. How bad could your life be? (laughs) No. No, they have no idea. It's not about, you know, having shelter and having food and being able to take care of yourself. Like, Literally, your, your, your merit is completely robbed from you. There's nothing worse on this planet. You can lose money. You can make money again, right? Money comes and goes. There's people that have, you know, made millions, lost everything, made it all back. There's people that are, you know, rag to riches stories. They grew up poor. They make millions of dollars. But when your opportunity is stolen from you, where you can work hard, they say that you work hard and you can have anything you want in life as long as you put your mind to it and you persevere and you work hard, not when you're deplatformed. Your opportunity is taken from you. And I think that along with the human rights violation, like the worst thing you can do to somebody, another human being, is take away their voice. It's not just a free speech issue, it's a human rights issue. The worst thing that you could do to another individual is rob them of their potential. I will never know what I could have done throughout my 20s because my potential was stolen from me. I will never know what I could be today Right. If I had not been banned on all social media and I had not had my account shut down because my potential was robbed from me. And I'm very resentful. And people will say, you're bitter. You need to get over it. It's not healthy to, you know, hold on to all of that resentment and, uh, you know, to have a grudge and to be so bitter about it. But, you know, when your life is there's not many people on this planet who can relate to what that feeling is like. You can right? Gavin can. Alex Jones can. Not many people understand what it's like to completely be digitally exterminated and to be non-existent while physically existing on this planet.
1: Which is why I want to to delve into you. And I'm going to do the gender role here because you're a female. And, And that's saying it because I know how I've struggled as a man to deal with my life and what my life's become. And I've watched you from the other side of the planet just thinking, wow, because you haven't stopped. And when you say what your life could have been or how big you could have been, you have still rose to that, to that place, not without the reward, but in the people's eyes, I think. I think people have still seen your fight, your resistance, your, that you haven't given up, your courage. But, but I know, I think I, I can sit and look and think, I wonder what it's like when the cameras are off for a young lady being in the position you've been, you've been defamed, you've been lied about. It's hard. And they've mocked. And they, and they use mockery. They use mockery as a as a way of belittling a person. Whether it be the media, the media mock me at times, they make jokes out of situations, whether it be milkshake thrown over my face, whether it be being beaten up in jail, whatever it be, they mock it. So as a young lady, how have you dealt with that? How have you, how, how have you continued a life?
0: I mean, it's very difficult. You know, I think that... Uh... You know, I think that the, it's a double-edged sword, right, with my childhood because it was very hard and it was traumatic and, you know, you shouldn't have to endure that type of physical and emotional abuse as a kid. But when you are young, right, and you grow up and you, um, you know, are being called, you know, a fucking bitch, right, or you're called, you know, fat and ugly by, like, people in your own house or you are, you know, physically abused by people in your own home. And you, you know, are put down by members of your own family. I know it's going to sound really deranged to say this, but it almost like makes it so that you're immune to that type of, and it's not that I'm immune because it does bother me sometimes, but like. Because you must read off awful things
1: said about yourself. Yeah,
0: awful things. But there's something about like, I don't know if you've ever been subjected to like verbal, emotional or physical abuse before, you know, at any point in your life. Mm. Aside from, of course, being attacked in in jail. But there's something about it that, like psychologically, that makes it so that you have like a very high threshold for pain. You have to. You you develop from a very young age, like a high pain tolerance. And so from a very young age, right, I've had to deal with things that people shouldn't have to deal with at all in their life. And so maybe I'm a little warped in some senses, but I have a very high threshold for the... Level of, I guess you could say, like psychological abuse or emotional abuse or uh, even physical pain that I can tolerate.
1: At uh, times, has it has it ever overwhelmed? It takes you? a toll. No, has I it? mean
0: there are there are times I wanted to kill myself. I mean it's not like I'm totally immune to it, right? But I think that uh, I think honestly, if I hadn't had the childhood that I had, I probably would have killed myself by now. And when you say I this- probably would have, you know, and I've had conversations with Katie Hopkins about this as well. Because it just becomes unbearable at times. I mean, there are times when you, you know, you're just what do you do? Your bank accounts shut down, you can't make money, you can't have a career, everybody's, you know, calling you things that you're not. And there was a point in time where I just didn't see any hope left and I honestly thought, I'm just gonna kill myself. And I talk about that in my book, but
1: did you have anyone to turn to at that time? Did you if you have you had do you have a strong group around you? Do you feel like you've been alone?
0: No, I feel alone. I mean, I still do feel alone. I have some people in my life who are, you know, there for me, but I am alone most of the time. I live by myself. You know, I have my dogs and if I didn't have my dogs, (laughs) probably go crazy, but I live alone and I have my dogs. I don't go back and I don't see my family. Uh, Technically speaking, right, that would make it so that I'm not alone in the traditional sense, like the actual definition of the word alone, but no, it's a lonely lifestyle and it's hard. It's because of this life it's hard to have friendships it's hard to have personal relationships i mean imagine trying to date in your early 20s right when when people online read your wikipedia page and that's their first impression of you i've never been able to really have a first impression with most people in my life because people just read things about me right so it's very difficult i i don't know if i'll really ever have a normal life or maybe even a family of my own someday just given the way that the way that i've been miss Misrepresented on a global scale, and that must hurt. No, it does. I'm worried. I mean, it, it sucks. I worry work? about it. You know, because I'm 30 now. It's not like fun and games <laughs> as a guy, right? You don't have to worry about things like that. But as a woman, like once you turn 30 or so, you got to start thinking. Okay, am I going to get married? Am I going to have kids? You have a certain time frame. Whereas a guy, right, it
1: doesn't must. matter
0: what they say. I mean, you have you have mm. you have kids. You're divorced, but you know, you just. You've had your life, right? Regardless of your activism, you still have your kids and you still have family.
1: So do you feel your life's been stolen?
0: No, I really do honestly feel like my life has been stolen. And that's why I am very resentful towards these people in big tech. And it's hard. I don't think I'll ever forgive them. People say, oh, you have to practice forgiveness. I don't believe in forgiveness. I don't.
1: Does that burn fire inside you? Is that is that what also drives you? The, the resentment and the anger?
0: Yeah. People will say, yeah, you're a very angry person. Yeah, I am an angry person. I am am an angry person. I have a right to be angry. Mm. And if you're not angry about what's going on in the world right now, you're not paying attention. And it's easy for people, right, who are are sitting from, you know, backseat, right, just bystanders, people watching to say, oh, you know, like, maybe if you just weren't so controversial. Oh, you know, don't you think you created some of your own problems by opening your mouth? Don't you think you did this to yourself? Don't you think that, you know you could have just like not talked about Islam, right? Don't you think that you could have just not said some of the things that you said in your life would be fine? No, it's not about that, right? They don't seem to understand like what we're actually fighting for. It's about the principle, right? And they they try to victim blame. And I don't wanna say like, oh, I'm such a victim, right? Because, Because I am a fighter, but in a sense, right? Like we are victims of, I think one of the worst things you could ever do to somebody I mean, I imagine people will say, oh, well, you're not dead, right? I think like one of the worst things you could do is kill another human being. But it's like being dead while you actually still have the ability to breathe and you have a heartbeat. If, if you can even think of that and maybe you can relate to what that feeling is like. But when you're deplatformed in your silence and people won't even stand up for you or fight for you, And you're right, it's not like you even did something so wrong. (laughs) They try to act like we have done something that is so atrocious while actual criminals right, are promoted and given promotions or government positions or celebrated. Uh, And there's uh, something really chilling about that feeling of feeling like you're dead while you're still alive. I don't know if you ever feel that way.
1: My mum's described me as a tortured soul at times because I guess I'm in a life that I believe in but it makes your life a certain way that you can't escape.
0: You can't escape it. There's no escaping it. And people will say, oh, we'll just go do something else. What am I going to do?
1: <laughs> why, why should I you do can't go
0: decide? get a nine-to-five job. I mean, you think that I can go live a normal life and go get a job in the United States where they do background checks? I mean, I can't even get a house. I can't even get a house because my credit's been wrecked. Like I've been financially destroyed. Right? I can't. I have a judgment issued against me by the court, the same judge who ordered the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Can't get a house. I can't. My car was taken from me. I mean, they don't understand. Like, even if you decide to just give up and you, I will never apologize. I'm never going to like get on my knees and apologize, and because I stand by everything that I've ever said. But there is no going back. There's no starting over once this has happened to you. I mean, it like really wrecks your life in so many levels—personally, financially, uh, professionally. And it's fine. I mean, I'm not in this for the money, but it would be nice to be able to have a life, you know?
1: <laughs> You're struggling. I just
0: don't think people really understand like how severe it is.
1: But the severity it's of it is intentional in order to make it very difficult for you to have a life. This is planned. This yeah. is orchestrated. It's not a fluke. It's not a mistake. It's you've rose your head above the parapet. You've caused, you've caused waves. And for that, you have to be silenced, but not just silenced. This is what people don't understand. They want to destroy you.
0: No, they want to destroy us. They want to
1: break you, you and I were
0: talking about this as well because we both have faced you know judgments and whatnot yeah. and pretty much been brought to the verge of bankruptcy, right? Yeah. Um, similar systems in the UK than the US, but you know pretty much identical situations here, same reasons. Um. You know, not even allowed to talk about it. So that's the worst part too. Is like
1: they use know, the courts to gaggle. can't even
0: can't even like explain it. Really talk no. about everything, right? Because. The way the court system is orchestrated so and the level find- of uh, the level of political persecution, like, has gagged me from being able to even talk about, you know, like what has happened to me in a sense. And so it makes it hard sometimes because I'm not even allowed to talk about it. And a lot of people don't know because the media refuses to talk about this stuff. Right? They brush it off or they make a mockery of the legal cases and uh, the court system and and the fines that I've been uh, subjected to at the hands of these um, you know, politicized, uh, politicized, uh, I guess you could call them activist judges. Um, and it's quite unfortunate because, you know, I've sued big tech. I had a case that went all the way to the Supreme court and they go, Oh, well, you know, um, when I sued Google, Facebook, Twitter, and Apple, Oh, well, the merits of this case are justice Thomas issued an opinion. Uh, you know, the the merits of this case are there and it's a very important case, but the court's not going to hear it at this time, but eventually they're going to have to deal with it. And it was the first time ever my lawyer uh, told me that in their response, okay, about their decision to not take my case at the United States Supreme Court, it was the first time he'd ever seen them refer to an individual by their docket number as opposed to their number because they didn't want to put my name in an official Supreme Court briefing. Wow. So there's no such thing as getting a fair trial, and.
1: Um, it's not a justice system. There's a legal. They don't
0: system. care about getting the money out of you. Like for you, it's not about them trying to pursue the two. Mil- what is it? Two million dollars. that they, million, they want they from say. you. They want. You know, I've spent over a million dollars on legal fees probably over the last what seven years from money that I've raised and money that I've had to you know sacrifice of my own and you know still have money to pay in legal fees as a result of all of this uh, political targeting. So where where do you go from there
1: I'm going to rewind again and go back um, to what you've done before your work because um, I've seen stunts but you your work as well you you worked with Project Veritas was that your what was your first big gig
0: yeah so when i was in college when i was the president of the college republicans right faced a lot of discrimination on my college campus that right. was kind of like you know the beginning of all the wokeness on college campuses and so um, i ended up doing an exposé on my university with Project Veritas and James O'Keefe, who I met when I was in college,
1: okay, so I started so you-
0: working for James O'Keefe as a college student uh, because um, you know I met him at a conference one time in Florida. Uh, you know, long story short, there was um, this 9/11 memorial service at my university, and it was a Catholic school. Even just though the, I'm yeah, Jewish. The
1: Im- yeah, the imam was supporting.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they invited an imam from a terror-tied mosque, and he started uh, chanting "Allahu Akbar" inside the school chapel. Uh, on 9-11 and I like stormed out of there and I remember like writing a big post about it on my Facebook and at the time Right, my my post went viral and then the next day the the college campus had tons of news trucks on campus And you know all the media was talking about it because they couldn't believe how outrageous it was that a university allowed for a terror tidy mom To start chanting Allahu Akbar um, At a 9-11 memorial service. So that was kind of like my first big. What, what year was this? What year was this? 2014 And uh, how old old was you then? 2014, I believe I was 20.
1: Okay, wow. Okay. 20, I believe. 20 in university, okay. And then. then,
0: 2015, I finished and I was 21.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, 20, I believe. And um, 19 or 20. And um, when I was, um, well, after I posted this post, it went viral. And so I ended up getting invited to, you know, all these different Republican clubs to come speak because people were just outraged that a university would allow for this to happen on 9-11 of all days. And I got invited to this conference called Restoration Weekend, right, which was like a David Horowitz, uh, you know, you know, David Horowitz uh, foundation. And this uh, very wealthy woman paid for me to get a ticket because the tickets were like $1,500. And, uh, you know, the conference focused a lot on speakers who uh were in the counter jihad movement. And she thought, Oh, well I'm gonna buy you a ticket, right, for being a brave you know, for being brave and saying something and I got to go to this event. And James O'Keefe was there at the time. And I remember uh meeting him and I think I kinda startled him, right? Because I ran up to him and I said, Oh, I wanna work for him. He's gonna need somebody to go undercover for him in the upcoming presidential election. And I think he thought I was like some kind of plant (laughs) <laughs> okay, yeah. he wrote the foreword for my book and, uh, <laughs> he yeah, and, he always, and he always says like oh I thought she was like there to sting me or something because she was so aggressive <laughs> so right because coming. I was just so aggressive I was like you're going to want to know me like I was like that blunt I was like you're going to want to know me <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm making waves and so yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then um, you know I thought he was going to call me and I didn't get a call from him and I was like shit I blew that you know that man's never going to call you now And then one day out of the blue, like a month after the conference, I get a phone call. And it was James O'Keefe. And he said, how soon can you fly to New York? And I said, I can come tomorrow. And I remember I had bronchitis and it was in Florida (laughs) and I owned no winter clothes, you know, (laughs) because I had just like moved to Florida and I thought, okay, I'm getting rid. I don't need to like have my winter coat anymore for Massachusetts. And I remember like I was freezing cold and I hopped on a plane and it was snowing in New York at the time. And I was like, I'll be there tomorrow, even though I had bronchitis and um i was just so eager and he said all right well we need to see if you're even capable of doing this type of work to begin with so now things have really changed with veritas because they're now a multi-million dollar organization back then it was like nothing right yeah. it was just a tiny little office with you know a few people And uh, they gave me a button camera and they said, okay, your your first assignment, you're going to go out in New York. They have all of the Black Lives Matter rallies. This is when Black Lives Matter was really first taking place. And this
1: was before Project Veritas were anything. So everyone now knows Project Veritas. Well, they,
0: they, it was just James O'Keefe at the time. It was Project Veritas. And of course he had his acorn investigation and they were doing some videos, right? Like but most people had no idea what Project Veritas was. Like it, now everybody knows what Project Veritas is in the US if you're a right winger, right? Hmm. But back then, people would be like, what do you do? And I couldn't even tell people what I did for a living because you know, you're know, you undercover, you're not allowed to talk about it.
1: So what did you do for them?
0: So the first time they flew me out, they said, okay, um, we need to see if you're even capable of doing this type of work because everybody thinks, oh, I'd love to wear a hidden camera. Well, wearing a hidden camera, if you've ever worn one, is it's a lot different than just looking and thinking, oh, I could do that. Yeah. You don't understand like the type of anxiety control that it takes while you're wearing a camera and the way you have to like pro- you know, position your body. You're always and worrying,
1: did it work? Did it, it work? Get them? Exactly. Did it work, like, exactly. And like kind
0: of like the mental state that you have to be in to do undercover work long-term as well. And so he goes, we need you to get the Black Lives Matter rallies on camera and see if they're inciting violence against cops. Because at that time, now everybody knows that Black Lives Matter incites violence against the police. But at that time, they were trying to say, oh, no, we're not trying to advocate for violence against the cops. So the assignment was to go undercover and try to catch the officials on camera, you know, calling for the killing cops or calling for the violence against police officers. And I remember like having to march outside in the snow with these people for like eight hours. My hands were freezing cold. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is just like so brutal and at the time (laughs) there was this, uh, I I don't know if you guys, uh, you're, you're familiar with this case, but this guy named Eric Garner and he was this, uh, you know, heavyset black man who was kind of tackled to the ground by police officers in New York and he he ended up dying because he was so overweight, right? And he ended up not being able to breathe when the police tackled him to the ground. He was selling loose cigarettes. And they said, oh, it's police brutality. They killed him. They killed him. And so his family was like organizing this rally. And I remember I like hopped in the car with these like random Black Lives Matter people who said, oh, do you want to go with us to the next location? Totally reckless things, right? Like as like I had blonde hair at the time, too. So just imagine like 21 year old blonde you know, tiny little white girl gets in gets in a car with these Black Lives Matter activists and drives wearing hidden cameras to you know the bottom of a bridge in New York City with random people. And I'm listening to their conversations, and then I quickly realized who I'm in the car with. And it was Erica Garner, who was the daughter of the man who died. And I caught her on camera saying that Al Sharpton, who's like this big race baiter in the United States, um, one of the leaders of you know all these Black Lives Matter movements, that um, he was just all about the money. And that was like this whole, not a conspiracy theory, but the whole right-wing narrative was, oh, well he's just in this to make money off of these black families and incite violence against white people and he's a race baiter, but they never had anybody who was black who was actually involved saying it on camera. And I caught it on camera. From the door. Yeah. So I remember I flew back to Miami and several weeks later, when they, gave, when they released the footage, it was the front page story on the cover of the New York Post. And then CNN was talking about it, and they had all these panels on the mainstream media. And I just remember walking to class thinking, oh, my God, nobody knows that I'm the person that is like <laughs> on the front cover. <laughs> yes. So they realized, wow, this is crazy. Her first trial video ended up being a massive uh, front page story. And at the time, I had also been working for the Fox News affiliate in Miami, So I was going to school full-time during the day from like 7 to 3. And then from 4 to midnight, I was working at the news station. And Project Veritas, uh, they offered to pay me to quit my job at Fox in Miami. So I quit my job to go work for them and did an expose on my university. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to be threatened with expulsion for for, um, starting my Republican club and being outspoken against uh, my university's um, fixation with, uh, jihadists who they welcome to campus, then, uh, I'm going to expose them. So I told you, James, "Okay, <laughs> I said, this is what got me kicked out of college. I said, James, you know, it's really crazy. I said, they, they allow for all these students to say things in my political science class, like the United States deserved nine 11. And I'm sitting here and I'm being shut down for being a college Republican. And he goes, well, just, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I want to expose them. And I was new at the time, right? So I said, I'm going to come up with a script because <laughs> that's what we did with these videos. We implemented
1: scripts. Oh no, it's coming now, because i have And
0: um, I told James my idea. I said, James, you know, I have this idea. If they're not going to let me have my Republican club and they're going to allow for all these uh, radical Muslim students on campus to promote their ideas, then I'm going to tell them that I want to create my own club and I'm going to call it the ISIS club the sympathetic students in support of the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. And I'm going to ask the student government if they can sign off on my official club and if I can get official student government funding. And he said, that's crazy, Laura. He goes, have at it, but that's not going to work. Like, no one's going to fall for that. And I said, watch me. (laughs) So I put the hidden camera on and I went to the school officials. And I said, you know, I've been thinking a lot and... Just this this humanitarian crisis. This was at the time when Obama in 2015 had said that ISIS was the JV team, if you remember that, right? When he was like...
1: JV team? The JV
0: team. Remember when Obama said that?
1: What's he mean by that? What's JV team? Like,
0: you know, you have JV and varsity.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: So he's like, oh, ISIS, they're just JV. Meanwhile, they were like decapitating people and making videos all around the world, like capturing, you know, British British reserve men and... Um, And Jordanian pilots and burning them on fire catching them on fire in cages, you know They were doing very brutal killings. They decapitated several US journalists. And so I Said yeah, it's just you know, it's such a two-sided thing and and America is just so totalitarian and Desperate people do desperate things and I want to start a club. Well, what is your club Laura? I want to call it sympathetic students in support of the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria and they're like, "Okay, what are you going to do?" I said, "Well, I was hoping to get student government funds. How much money do I get per month as an official club?" You would get $500 per month from the university. Great. Can I send it overseas? Well, what do you want to do with the funds, Laura? I want to send it to the widows and the children of ISIS terrorists and support them so that they can, you know, pick up the banner of their of their fallen fathers and and brothers. Um, and uh, I want to buy the night vision goggles as well from Costco. And I know the night vision goggles are expensive, so maybe I can get a bulk order. There's—I don't know if you have this in the UK, but Costco is like this really big yeah, grocery store. You have Costco, you yeah. have Costco yeah, okay? Yeah, have so Costco. you buy everything in bulk, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just supposed to be like.
1: you're just trolling as
0: outrageous as possible you know i'm sure that they're not going to have night vision so let's get them bulk flashlights okay we're going to use the money for bulk flashlights and then we're going to send their children notepads and pens and papers from the bookstore yeah that's fine laura that's fine the university also had this thing called the um the international fair where every because we had so many students from abroad right and every single student was able to have their own table with their flag and when you walk to the dining hall at my university, they had the flags of every single country of a student that was currently attending the university in the dining hall. So I said, mind you, um, uh, once my club is, uh, official and I get it signed off, cause all I have to do right is get the, uh, get a faculty sponsor. And I ended up getting the director of the school honors program to sign off on my club. Can I, um, can I have an Islamic state table at the international fair? And they said, no problem. And I said, can I fly the Islamic State flag in the dining hall and at the, at, the, uh, at the fair and we can just pass out little Islamic State flags? And they said, yeah, no problem. And they said, just one thing, Laura. And I said, what's that? You need to change the name of the club so people don't actually know you're giving money to ISIS. And I said, okay, so what do you propose my club should be called? Uh, why don't we call it Students in Support of the Middle East as opposed to Students in Support of the Islamic State of Iraq and, uh, and sure. Syria? So I showed the video to James O'Keefe, and he flipped out. He's like, oh, my God, I cannot believe this. I can't believe that they actually signed off on this. He goes, this is huge. He goes, we can't release this yet. I said, why not? He goes, well, we have to implement the, this script at other colleges. I didn't think that they were actually going to fall for this. So we did it at Ivy League institutions. They flew me out, and I remember I like put on a hijab, and I was at Brown University speaking with um, – uh, officials there, tr- getting them on camera, and then we implemented the same script at Cornell, which is an Ivy League in the United States, and we got the athletic director of fucking Cornell University saying, saying, "Yeah, you could use our athletic uh, centers as training camps for ISIS terrorists." We said, "Can we bring ISIS jihadis to Cornell University and uh, do training?" You know how they do their militant style training at their camps, yeah. and they said, "No problem." So the video goes viral. Then they released the one from my university, and the day that they released it, I was supposed to be receiving an academic award because I was set to be valedictorian of my graduating class. And the president of the university was supposed to present me with this prestigious academic award for having the highest GPA out of anybody in the uh, broadcast communication. Uh, It's called grade point average. So
1: you got the highest awards.
0: Yeah, and I was supposed to be awarded by the president of the university at an award ceremony for having the highest um, academic honors in the honors program and also uh, the communication program that I was done as a broadcast student. So mind you, like all these news reporters found out, oh my God, the student that did this video expose and where you have the university saying that it's okay to give money to ISIS. The story went viral. Like Fox News was talking about it. Everybody was talking about this. There were donors that pulled out. The university, I believe, lost $5 million in donations from people over this. Because you have a Catholic university saying it's okay to have an ISIS club while, while ISIS is going around Europe. Uh, well, no, not Europe. But you have Muslims going around Europe, uh, ISIS terrorists, you know, persecuting Christians, walking into, uh, you know, churches and decapitating priests and, you know, persecuting people all over the, all over the Middle East. And you have a Catholic university saying it's okay to have an ISIS club. So it caused an international crisis for this university. And it was quite funny, actually, until uh, they expelled me from university. And... um,
1: Under what grounds?
0: They said I created a hostile environment.
1: Can I ask, (laughs) why do you think the universities would allow that? Why do you think the... What reason... So we've seen in the UK... that. I try to explain to people the power of political correctness, the power of never saying no. The Islamic community have never heard the words no for anything. Right. Why do you think universities in the United States would allow groups within them to be supporting the vices? What reason?
0: Because it's just so woke now, right? I mean, the ter- I hate to use that term woke, but they just don't know how to say no. It's this It's this culture of everybody gets a prize and, oh, we can't offend anybody, you know? We can't. We can't say no. You're you're crazy. Okay, you are a criminal. That's illegal. Or um, you know, no, you're not going to get reparations. No, this isn't racist. You're just not that smart. And if you want something, you have to work for it, right? That's how society should be. But now it's like everybody gets a, gets a prize. And, oh, if you want to complain and you say that you're just dis- being discriminated against because of your gender or because, you know, of your religion or because of the, c- the color of your skin, it's much easier than actually having to work hard for something. And so they've coddled them. They've really just coddled all these all these uh, young adults who behave like children. And it's a business for them now, these universities. they're making They're making millions of dollars on their endowments okay, their application fees, and really what it is, is it's an an indoctrination center. You send your child to school, you have to pay enormous amounts of money, like $70,000 a year now to go to some colleges in the United States of America, and you're sending your children to university to be indoctrinated with Marxist ideology. So they are trying to indoctrinate children with this children, right, young adults, people's children. To have this anti-American mentality. And yeah, it's not Marxism isn't the same as, as as Sharia, but as we say in the United States, there's this unholy alliance, this red-green alliance, right? This red-green axis where the enemy of my enemy is my friend, they're until eventually, yeah, they're using they're each using other. Each because other. ultimately, you know, the principles of that are that are held by these jihadists and proponents of Sharia are clashing ideologically with progressives that are advocating for transgenderism and homosexuality and feminism right but right now they're useful enemies until of course right they are successful in toppling western societies and regimes and then there's going to be a reckoning and you're going to have a caliphate you can have a caliphate because
1: and the first people first people first people lined up will be them the left exactly like in but right now
0: they're useful enemies, right? They're they're using each other. The the jihadists have have in the United States have uh, have capitalized on the concept of free speech and freedom of religion, and so they carry out their subversive and um, their subversive activities uh, and their their um, their subversion, right? And uh, infiltration is the word. of of our political institutions, our educational institutions, our social institutions, under the guise of freedom of religion, they're using our own, our own concepts against us. Against us, and you don't have people that are strong enough to push back against it. So while the faculty officials who uh, signed off on my club were given promotions, I was kicked out. I was not allowed to go to my own college graduation. So the people James- signed.
1: Off, so people signed off on this madness and agreed to give five hundred pound a month of university money to fund this. Is, ISIS club, that would be is funding ISIS, ISIS cult, terrorists overseas. They weren't penalized?
0: No, they, were, they filed a criminal complaint against me. They went to the police and they said that I illegally recorded them, which I didn't. Um, I didn't illegally record them. And then they kicked me out of college. They said that I created a hostile environment and I was expelled from university. And uh, they wouldn't even let me go to my own graduation, even though I was supposed to be valedictorian. Wow. So they had to hire James O'Keefe. Had to spend seventy-five thousand U.S. dollars to hire an attorney to get me my diploma because they were not going to give me my they diploma. They weren't even going to
1: give you your education. Your, mm-hmm. No.
0: No. And eventually they did, but.
1: So for doing the right, right thing. Right. So from the offset here. But I wanted way.
0: to make a point, Tommy, because how is it that that I'm the criminal? I'm treated like the terrorist for you know, being a college Republican. And they said, no, you can't have your club events because what you said was so racist about the imam who came and started shouting Allahu Akbar on 9-11. (laughs) They actually told me. They made me go to the Dean of Students, and then they said, you know, we're really concerned that you would post such a hateful Islamophobic comment online. We really want you to have a psychological evaluation. So they made me go to the school psychological services counselor and sit there and have an evaluation
1: for condemning the
0: jihadi imam imam on 9-11. So I had to go meet with the school, Um, even though I'm Jewish, they made me meet with uh, the 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 school priest chaplain they made me meet with the Dean of Students and they made me go see the psychological counselor For simply condemning them and I showed them I said he comes from this Islamic Center in Miami Okay, they have ties. Look at this. Look at this FBI investigation. He's tied to Islamic uh, uh, Jihadists and you're gonna say that I am mentally ill because I called it out.
1: Yeah
0: so I said if they're going to have that much sympathy towards a jihadist and that much contempt for uh, a college Republican, then why wouldn't they allow for an ISIS club?
1: So you wanted to make a point. I wanted to make a point. <laughs> you did make a point. I did. But you lost your lost your place at university yeah, for making. Yeah, but then that when point. the video
0: got exposed for Cornell, it was great because then
1: Donald well. Trump
0: at the time it was this was a uh, March of 2015, okay? okay, and this was gearing up to the presidential election of 2016. Okay. So Donald Trump was still just Donald Trump, right? And this is when he was
1: having the Muslim... Billionaire
0: businessman. He was outspoken about, about um, you know, ISIS and Islamic immigration, but he had not yet filed to run. And so Donald Trump saw the cover of the paper in New York about the Cornell investigation. And at the time, I was dealing with all the legal issues in Miami, trying to get my diploma. And he faxed it over to James O'Keefe. And he said, James, this is amazing. I want you to come to my office. I want to meet you. <laughs> So, so my investigation got James ended up in getting James Trump. O'Keefe, right, in front of Donald Trump prior to him running for office. And then Donald Trump cut a check to Project Veritas. And I was supposed to go to that meeting too. But unfortunately, I had to deal with the legal issues in Florida and couldn't go because it was the same day as my um, meeting with the lawyer and the school officials. So um, that's a funny story, though, is Donald Trump's introduction to James to O'Keefe and so Project Veritas what? came through my work.
1: How long did you continue to work for Project Veritas?
0: So after, when I got kicked out, they officially hired me full time and I packed up all my stuff in Miami as soon as um, all the legal stuff was settled because I couldn't leave until that oh, was all settled. And then I just moved to New York full time. And uh, you know I was a broke college student, didn't have any money. And <laughs> I remember getting, a, getting a, a cheap apartment that I shared with another girl who worked at Project Veritas. And I slept on the, fo- the floor for the first two weeks because I had no furniture. I had no money to buy furniture. But I was so excited to go to New York and work for Project Veritas. I slept on the floor of this apartment in New York and um, ended up going to work for him full-time for about three years after that. Um, And uh, my first assignment as a full-time operative was going undercover in the Hillary Clinton campaign. So I was embedded uh, secretly recording Hillary Clinton and her staffers throughout the entire uh, presidential campaign season of 2015 and 2016. And my videos were... You know, used by Donald Trump in the debates. I got Hillary Clinton's Muslim Brotherhood aide, Huma Abedin, on camera saying that she wanted to allow for all the Syrians into the United States. And Donald Trump actually mentioned my video during the debates and online. So it's a big video. I mean, I did a lot of work.
1: You confronted Hillary Clinton as well, right?
0: Yeah, but that was after I left.
1: That was after so I left. I was
0: embedded in Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, Nevada, Arizona, New York.
1: Exciting, exciting work?
0: Yeah, I mean... You, rewarding?
1: Did it feel rewarding, That's sort It of felt way?
0: rewarding, definitely. Like knowing that Hillary Clinton wasn't in the White House in our investigations definitely, helped. definitely helped. helped, you know, definitely.
1: Because her number two, the the, the lady you just mentioned... Um, Huma Abedin. Huma Abedin is completely tied to the Muslim Brotherhood.
0: No, she's tied to the her Muslim parents, Brotherhood. She is. Yeah.
1: yeah, totally. And she was going to be number two to what would have been the, the leader of the United States.
0: Yeah, she probably would have been Chief of Staff yes. if she was in the White House.
1: With links to a, and, a terrorist organisation. You know, and her organization.
0: laptop had the classified information on that her husband, Anthony Weiner. Is he a pedophile? Uh, he was he's a pedophile, yeah. He went to jail. Her Oof. husband's a pedophile, went to jail for a couple of years, actually, for sexting, sending pictures of his penis to a 15-year-old girl on the same electronic devices that had Hillary Clinton's classified information on it.
1: What's, talk, James O'Keefe. Because a lot has happened recently with Project Veritas. Mm-hmm. You work for James O'Keefe.
0: Yeah, he's great. He's great. It's terrible to see what happened. I mean, it's been a total coup. And I know of? all those people that you know tried to stage this coup. They did successfully stage a coup against uh, Project Veritas. So it's really sad to see somebody like your mentor. He's really my mentor. He's like a brother to me, James. I love him. And to see that organization that means so much to you, that really you know formed me and gave me the skills that that helped me become who I am today. Uh, it's sad watching that be taken from him because I know what it's like to have everything that you've ever worked for taken from you. And he's not totally deplatformed, but to have an organization that you created uh, top to bottom completely ripped out from underneath you by people that you built up and people that you thought you could trust, it's terrible. But...
1: And they've tried to discredit him as well, defame him. Yeah, they tried to say why, he's what, like what, a, Why do you think that is?
0: Well, I think the political timing of it leading up to the presidential election as well, there's Project Veritas and there's Project Veritas Action. And Action is a very powerful organization as well, just as powerful as Project Veritas. And they're the group that does all of the um, undercover work inside the political campaigns, right? And I think there's some board members. I mean, I've had conversations with James about this, so I know that it's true. Board members
1: who have been influenced?
0: Board members who are influenced because, you know, James has a very close connection with Donald Trump. Donald Trump loves James O'Keefe. And uh, this is a very contentious primary. And they're hoping right now, if you're paying attention to American politics, to prevent Donald Trump from even running in a general election by undermining him and preventing him from even winning the nomination in the primary. Because you have to win the primary election before you win the general. Yeah. And so you have Ron DeSantis, of course, and there are board members who are financially tied either through their donations to DeSantis or their work with DeSantis. And I'm not and that, making this up. I've had conversations with James about it, and you know, there's it's, that's not the only reason why, but but it's political and also financial.
1: And it happened. It happened after the expose of Pfizer. Yes. At the timing seemed mm-hmm. incredibly. And
0: and I think that that had a lot to do with it as well. But I know for a fact that there was a power struggle among board members too who who could sense that there was going to be this dynamic, right? Because there are certain people that wanted to use the resources of action to go after Trump and okay. I don't think James would have allowed it.
1: Okay. Okay. I never heard that angle.
0: It's true though. I've spoken yeah, yeah. to him about it.
1: No, I trust you. I trust you. It's true. Okay. So then you've you've worked at Project Veritas for a number of years. Mm-hmm. What happens then?
0: So I then decided I wanted to leave Veritas, left on good terms. I love James, but... I just decided that I didn't want to do undercover work as much anymore. I wanted to be overt, right? Because I like the confrontations like you.
1: (laughs) You certainly like the confrontations. I've never watched anything like it in my research to this. I knew you'd done a few, but I was never aware of the amount of people you found.
0: Yeah, and you know, like going undercover, it's great. But like sometimes you just want to jump across the table and like really rough these people up, you know. And I just remember sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, when I'm in these undercover You know, you have to understand, like, the level of self-control it takes when you're undercover and you're sitting in front of Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and all these terrible people in American politics and you're, like, having to pretend to be a leftist to get them on camera. Fabulous work.
1: Fabulous work. Yeah, great work. But it's like
0: sometimes I just wanted to, like, you know, take the camera out from underneath my butt or my purse and just put it in their face and go crazy, right? But I told James, I said, listen, I really wanted to – incorporate more overt confrontations and he goes at the time you know Veritas we don't do that we do undercover work now they have right so it's yeah, too yeah, bad yeah. right because I want to stay with Veritas because now they're doing everything that I always wanted to do when I worked for them right so and like, they're doing so it very well, they're well doing the, a great job. this
1: is O'Keefe media group now, O'Keefe Yeah, O'Keefe
0: media group now but it's like I'm, I'm jealous right because I'm like oh man like this is the stuff that I really wanted to do too uh, it's great I'm so happy for them but um But over the years with more funding and more recognition, right, they've been able to do that now. But I always had this vision of doing more direct confrontations as opposed to just undercover work. And James encouraged me to, um, you know, do what I wanted to do. And I was successful at it and built a massive following. I really didn't have much social media working at Veritas because you have to be undercover, right? Um, But when I left, I started making these confrontation videos called Loomer videos where I would show up to... Is that
1: where the word would come from?
0: Yeah, where We've I would, be means to get loomed. where I would show up to uh, these events with high-profile politicians and confront them at their book signings and, you know, just like you, you've confronted politicians. A lot of these mm. people are easy to find. It's just nobody ever thinks to go confront them because they think that all these politicians are so protected.
1: who talked I, I you know Theresa May? Theresa May was our Home Secretary. Yeah. I set a meeting up with one of her constituents.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: mm-hmm. I'm, I'm leading the English Defence League at the time, yeah, so... I walked straight in. I think this is the home secretary. She's got to have MI5. She's got to have top security.
0: Right. And you think they do and they don't.
1: I walked straight in with a laptop, <laughs> sat down in front of her. I said, hi, Teresa. Do you know who I am? She's sitting there like, I said, my name's Tommy Robinson. I'm leader of the English Defence League. I want you to watch this. And I sat down and literally then I realised the link they have, because within within literally minutes of me leaving that room, the Daily Mail had run a story which was obviously given to them by the Home Secretary, saying "Home Secretary ambush by E.D.L. leader." I didn't ambush you. I sat. Yeah, down because there. they
0: had to. They had to. They had to, they had to, they had to create the narrative because they allowed for you to have the meeting. Yeah, yeah. So, they the, your average person is like, "Oh my God, don't they have intelligence? Don't they do vetting? Don't they know who these people are?" But they don't, and that's what's so funny about like all the Veritas videos, right? It's like you have these politicians who are so famous, like this lady could have been the president of the United States, and you know. At the time, I was undercover, right? And they had actually offered me a job because they thought that I was, like, really who I was saying that I was, you know, pretending to be. Yeah. And I had different identities all throughout the various states. Yeah. And I I never filled out the paperwork, right? Because that would have been a crime to, like, actually put...
1: Pretend to be someone else.
0: You can pretend to be someone else, but you can't fill out official election paperwork with a fake name, right? Okay. But they had really wanted me to join, and because... I was so deeply embedded. I was at these private fundraisers with John Podesta and Hillary Clinton wow. and Huma Abedin. And you would think that they'd have vetting, but that's why they have to say that you ambush them because your average person goes, "Well, Barrett's how stupid are you? How stupid are you to take a meeting with this person you don't know who they are, or you're just going to mm. let some random person in to your political operation?" Mm. And that's why these videos are so great.
1: So, and then, so when you've left, you've left, and you want to be in front of the camera doing some. Uh, content is that when you went to work for rebel
0: yeah so briefly i worked for rebel for like two months you know okay
1: is that what it was (laughs) okay
0: (laughs) like two months you know i was like okay i'm gonna leave and i'm gonna go like try to do new york correspondent work for them because they wanted a new york correspondent and i was living in new york at the time but i don't know i just couldn't do it i had to leave just couldn't uh clashed with ezra too much you know
1: Why? Well,
0: you know, at first I joined and they thought it was going to be great and they liked what I did and then I ended up getting arrested because I stormed the stage of that Shakespeare play in New York. Oh, let's
1: talk about that. This is, so, so the Shakespeare play, yeah. Talk to me, that, this was the, um, the mockery of killing Donald Trump, right?
0: Yeah, so they had this uh, play that was funded by the New York Public Theater in New York City that was a, a production and the theater itself is funded by taxpayer money and all these big corporate sponsorships and they decided that they were going to do a rendition of Shakespeare in the park Shakespeare in Central Park you know of uh, Julius Caesar and uh, Caesar of course was Donald Trump and so they had this like very grotesque and overt uh, depiction of Caesar as Donald Trump and his wife as Melania of course and then what happens to Caesar right gets stabbed. Mm. and so they had the, the people dressed up like uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa. and They made it like a progressive killing assassination of Donald Trump. And it's a crime in the United States to incite violence or to even make a threat of assassination. It's a felony. You can go to jail for making a threat. You know, the comedian, what is her name, Kathy Griffin, when she did her whole ISIS head, when she chopped, you know, the head, chopped the bloody him. head, and she he acted head. like she was an ISIS terrorist holding the head of Donald Trump. Secret Service paid her a visit. She almost went to jail for that ruined her career, rightfully so, Good. because of what she did, because <laughs> very serious offense to threaten the life of the president. And everybody understood that. And people had respect for the presidency up until Donald Trump. Okay.
1: And then all the rules were out <laughs> Not the window. That they don't
0: respect him, but it used to be held even by Republicans. You would never see Republicans threaten uh, assassination on Barack Obama, because even if people hated Barack Obama, they would never... You know what I'm saying? Like you would never be dumb enough to publicly say, go assassinate the president, right? Mm. Because you knew that you'd be arrested and the secret service would pay you a visit. Mm. But they kind of just like declared open season on Donald Trump and the media turned a blind eye to it. And I just couldn't believe that this was happening in the capital, the media capital of the entire country. And many would argue the media capital of the world, New York City. (laughs) Like, it's insane. So I decided that I was going to try to get tickets and the only way you could get a ticket was a lottery. And so I ended up uh, going to the city at 5 o'clock in the morning, camped out in the park, and I thought, okay, I'm going to be here first in line to try to get this ticket. I didn't get the ticket. So I got lucky because there was this, you know, scalper, ticket scalper that was just walking around the park seven, 7 o'clock in the morning. And he had he had a ticket. And I said, oh, you have a ticket. It's a real ticket. He goes, yeah, it's a ticket. And I said, how much do you want for it? Um, and I ended up giving him... He said that somebody else was uh, set to buy it for $250. Okay. And he was waiting there for the person. I said, I really need this ticket. I'll give you $500. So I give him $500 cash for the ticket. Cause I needed to get in. And I didn't, I was thinking it was just going to be a regular ticket. It ended up being a front row ticket. <laughs> 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 so I get into this uh, rendition of Shakespeare in the park. And I remember sitting there and I'm, debating in my head okay what am I going to do I'm going to periscope it I'm going to stand up and I'm going to shout something but then when I realized periscope is the live, was,
1: the live app yeah.
0: yeah until I got banned
1: yeah.
0: I was like oh my god I can't just like give up the fact that I have front row C's I can't just stand up I have to storm the stage so I timed it perfectly and you know the whole the climax of Julius Caesar is when they stab Caesar that's what everybody waits, waits for, for yeah. And so right before they stabbed him, I decided that I was going to run up on stage and I stormed the stage and I interrupted them. And people, I think, thought that I was a part of the play (laughs) until they ended it and they had security. And I was like, you have to stop the normalization of political violence against the right. I said. um, And then Alex Jones at the time, because Kathy Griffin had done her whole, you know, ISIS had uh, had said we need to raise awareness about how they're trying to incite terroristic violence like ISIS against uh, President Trump. And so if you ever are on camera, you need to shout CNN is ISIS. And he had this whole contest where he's like, you need to shout CNN is ISIS. So while I was getting dragged away from CNN. the stage because I knew that CNN had been promoting this, uh, this event every single night, I started shouting CNN is ISIS, <laughs> CNN is ISIS. So, so I got arrested. They arrested me for trespassing and disorderly conduct, and I ended up getting interviewed on Fox News about it. And now I'm blacklisted from Fox, but. Um, Where's in reality?
1: I'm the but at the time
0: I was working with Rebel. That was when I first started working. And when I got arrested, Ezra, right, started this like legal defense for me because I got arrested and they were gonna have to hire a lawyer. And so, like, the there was bail, of course, and then there were attorney's fees. And the reason, you know, we kind of had a bit of a falling out is because. I never received the money like people assume that I like got you know thousands of dollars off of this defense fund right that he raised this money on and they were calling me a grifter and saying that I pocketed all the money and all the money went to them and sure they paid the lawyer and they paid the bail but that was like I don't know like two thousand dollars out of like the eleven thousand or so that was raised and so I kept on saying can you release a statement please because I don't really like the fact that I'm getting dragged and called a grifter and being accused of like stealing all this money and you know, that kind of left things off on a bad foot. And then I had tweeted something one time about Islamic migrants drowning in the ocean and, you know, made made a provocative comment uh, to make a point, right? This to was 2,000
1: migrant boat went down.
0: Yeah, this is when like 2,000 migrants drowned in the ocean. And I remember I tweeted, cool, here's to 2,000 more. And I was just trying to make a point, like... Would you rather have 2,000 fighting age men drown in the ocean or would you rather them invade Europe where they're going to go rape women and burn them to death and... You know, this was around the time where, if you recall that story, I believe it was in France where you had the Islamic migrant who burned the eighty-something-year-old Holocaust survivor after raping her in her in her in her Parisian apartment. Do you remember yeah. that story? Yeah, she was Jewish. Yeah, Jewish lady. Yeah, she was Jewish. Holocaust survivor who because ended up she was getting, and he it getting killed. She was and then they tried to say, oh, that he was just like high on marijuana and it yeah, had marijuana. To no, Islam. they were
1: giving him a lesson lesser <laughs> sentence because they said he was high on <laughs> marijuana. I remember now. In reality,
0: he killed her because she's Jewish. Yeah, and then set her on fire. Yeah. So I remember I said what I said. I'm like, okay, so yeah, I'd rather they drown in the ocean than, uh, than rape women at music festivals and kill Holocaust survivors and burn them in their apartments.
1: Music festivals, you're talking about the backhand, The theater? Yeah. The theater where they... Do you know what they've done there? Do you know they cut off the penises of the men one by one and made them watch? They raped the women with knives. Inside? Yeah, they, they gouged they never They but never the, talked
0: about that publicly. Wow. No,
1: the, the authorities didn't go in for hours. Yeah, So they, the, the, the terrorists were left for hours to butcher, line them up, rape the women with knives, one by one.
0: Have you interviewed the, the, the band members?
1: No no I haven't interviewed the band members. I but know the, them. Do you?
0: Yeah Gavin's friends with them too.
1: Okay. So the people from the autopsy, someone doing the autopsy said none of them none of them had eyes. None of the people had eyes left. They'd gouged out their eyes.
0: They didn't talk about that on the report. Of of course They gouged their eyes out.
1: They gouged their eyes out. Same as, you know, in the Kenyan massacre, the shopping mall massacre. They'd done the same there. None of the people had fingertips left. None of the people had... They'd gone through, which is striking fear into the heart of the disbeliever. One by one, they'd made them watch as they massacred and butchered and raped whilst the security services stood around for two hours outside, letting them.
0: Well, yeah, and then they went down the street and they shot up the kosher market too. Yeah, yeah.
1: But, but I just so, so said, do you, I, I do mean, I you said, request, I said, you right to two
0: thousand more, and then Ezra called me, and he goes, "You know, you really need to like chill on the tweeting, and I really would prefer if you don't tweet for a while now." And I'm like, Ezra, aren't you always talking about how like Rebel Media is, you know, an anti-Islam network, and you're talking about how you are raising awareness about about Islamification? And I said, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be censored. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that you know I came into your organization and I introduced you to a bunch of wealthy. You know Jewish donors and whatnot and now I'm being silenced so I don't like this and so I remember like struggling internally with this whole idea of I don't want to be silenced I don't want to be censored and so um, I had said hey you know Hillary Clinton's going to be coming to town and um, she's having a book signing and I want to go confront her
1: did you say this says I said
0: to says okay. and he said I don't want you to go and I said why not and he goes I just You know, I just think right now, like, you know, we we want to have editorial control and we don't want you doing things unless we sign off on it. And that just didn't sit with me. So I thought, well, I don't have money. I don't, I'm going to be in a really hard financial position if I, if I leave Rebel because I don't have a place I can work. I just left Project Veritas and what am I going to do? Right? Not, I'm not going to be able to like make a living.
1: Do you regret the tweet? So I just. Do you regret the tweet?
0: Do I regret that tweet? No. 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 I mean, look, there's the no context on Twitter, right? No, 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 there's right? not. And If, there, if a- I was given the opportunity to actually like explain why I said what I said, your average person would be like, okay... okay. Yeah, sure. I understand. If you're just reading the tweet and there's no context, yeah, I probably look like a pretty shitty person. Okay. Yeah. So I can understand why there's people that say, "Oh my God, she celebrated the death of migrants." I didn't celebrate the death of migrants. No, <laughs> saying can... that. Uh,
1: there's more coming. They're not children. This... No, they're not
0: children and women. They like to say, "Oh, it's two thousand women and children." No, they're not. You have photos of these boats. They're not women and children. They're fighting-age men who are coming and they're raping and they're pillaging and they're destroying and they're killing people. So. I remember thinking, I, I really want to go, you know, confront Hillary Clinton. And um, the, way I, the way I orchestrated it is I just said, I'm going to go do the video and whatever. I don't care what, what they say over at Rebel and I'm just going to do it anyway. And then I'm going to resign. If they fire me, it's not going to matter because I'll just give the video to Infowars and that would be that, right? So that's exactly what I did. And I uh, confronted Hillary and Rebel wasn't happy about it.
1: What did you say to Hillary?
0: Well, um, so I waited in line at her book signing, of course, she released her book on the anniversary of Benghazi, right? And the book yeah, was called What Happened.
1: Yeah, you question what about Happened. Benghazi, that's what you
0: think. on. <laughs> and the the book came out on the anniversary of Benghazi, which is like really disgusting, you know. but that's Hillary Clinton, so it's par for the course. Um, And I just remember waiting in line and I thought to myself, oh my God, her book is called What Happened, right? And it was supposed to be like her therapeutic explanation of what happened in 2016 and how Donald Trump got in and she didn't. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if somebody was able to like go to her book signing and ask her a series of questions about her own corruption, starting with what happened, like the title of her book, on the first day of her book tour. (laughs) <laughs> and I just followed her all around the country at every yeah, single
1: I, I understand why they have worked tirelessly to silence you as well.
0: <laughs> i I'm like, what? I
1: understand from their perspective. <laughs> I'm on about the corrupt officials, the people at the top, why they've all said, she's got to go. <laughs> she's got to go. She keeps her. Uh, yeah, good.
0: <laughs> so, So I got the schedule of her entire book tour, and I said, oh, my God, I'm going to call it the Laura Loomer What Happened Tour. So I waited in line. And I remember, like, this is just right after I had my nose job done, right? So <laughs> New York City, it's like, feels like it's 110 degrees outside because it's 90 degrees with humidity. And you can imagine in New York, the line to see Hillary Clinton and get in the book signing wrapped around. So I had to get there at, like, super early, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. And I remember I still had the bandage on my nose for my nose job. And I had to keep it on for another few days. And I called the plastic surgeon and I'm like, listen. I said, i got to get into this book signing. I have to confront Hillary, but I'm going to draw too much attention to myself through security if I have all this bandage on my face. So I need you to take it out. (laughs) I need you to take it out of my face. (laughs) I need you to take the cast off my nose. And he goes, well, you know, it's a little early. I said, I don't care. He said, you're going to have to keep the packing in your nose, though. I said, that's fine. I just need you to take the damn bandage off my face. I wrote about this as well. And I just remember, I said... Listen, I need you to open up early. I'll I'll pay you. I just need you to open up early because this is super early in the morning and I got to be there at like seven o'clock. So I remember I like went to the office. They opened up early for me. It was like six o'clock. And I remember going to the office and having him take this bandage off. And I was in so much pain because I had my nose jam packed full of actual packaging. Mm. So imagine being outside in like 97 degree weather with your nose full of packaging. You said you've like broken your nose. You probably know what it's like having all the packaging in your nose. Mm. And I had to like put all this makeup on my face because I had bruises all over, you know, and I thought I like looked like a total freak. And when you get your nose done or you break your nose, your nose feels like it's like putty, you know. So you're like freaking out and you're like, oh, my God, is it going to fall off my face? Because you have like this weird sensation. And I said, I'm just going to have to get through it. So I remember standing there waiting outside in the sun for eight hours. I had to wait outside for eight hours because Hillary Clinton was late. And that's how long the line was to get through security to go see her. I felt like I was going to die. I honestly thought I was going to pass out. There were people that were passing out in line who couldn't handle the heat. And imagine like still being on pain meds and having your nose packed full of packaging and being in that sun. And I said, okay, I'm just going to go home. I can't do it. Whatever. I waited. That's it. But I just pushed through. I finally got inside, and I remember seeing her sitting there in her blue blazer while she's signing her books. (laughs) And I said, this is it, I made it.
1: (laughs) So I started
0: my Periscope, and I just said, Hi, Hillary. It's great to meet you. And I think at one point she kind of like recognized me from Veritas, you know, and she was like, oh, shit, because she got very uncomfortable at first when she shook my hand. Mm -hmm. And I said, so the American people would really like to know what happened to your 33,000 emails. And then she realized it was, you know, an ambush. What happened in Benghazi? What happened to the millions of dollars that was supposed to go to the people in Haiti? Right. What happened to Seth Rich? And then that's when Secret Service grabbed me, you know, by my wrist and she said, Oh, I'm so sorry that you believe things that are untrue. And they shuffled me away.
1: What's untrue? And then
0: who's in the corner? <laughs> Huma Abedin is sitting in the corner too. Oh, was she? <laughs> so Huma Abedin was sitting in the corner and at this time, right, her husband was um was still like facing the charges child right for, for pedophilia. Child.
1: Yeah for sexting
0: a girl. Uh, And so I saw her in the corner and I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna do a double hitter. There's no way I'm leaving here without confronting her. So they thought that I was leaving, right? They thought, okay, we're giving you a warning. She's just, you know, she's gonna leave, she's not violent. And they thought that I was just gonna head out. But I like did a U-turn, right? And I went behind the bookshelf. (laughs) I rocked, walked right up to Huma Abedin, and I said, "Huma, so great to see you. Question for you: When are you going to divorce Anthony Weiner uh, for sending pictures of his penis to an underage girl?" <laughs> and that's when Secret Service just said, "Okay, you're out of here." And they dragged me by my wrist down the escalator, and you know they detained me outside because because there was this guy um, named Martin Skrelly who um, had put out a bounty offer and said that he would pay $10,000 to whoever could get a strand of Hillary Clinton's hair. And so I had been photographed with Martin Scarelli prior, so they thought that I was there to like take Hillary Clinton's hair and her DNA, right? Okay. And I wasn't. I wasn't there. So they detained me outside for several minutes after thinking that I was there to like take a piece of her hair. Very weird story. I wrote about it as well, mm. so people can you know see with more detail. Um, and I just remember like, oh my God, am I going to go to jail now for questioning Hillary? But the funniest part about it is I then uh, did an interview with Alex Jones and they played the video. And the very next day, Huma Abedin was seen at the courthouse with Anthony Weiner filing divorce papers. The very <laughs> next day. The very next day.
1: Oh, mate. And what, so, was she still working for Ezra when you'd done this video? Is, well, I was resigned. After, I like pretty you much resigned, I put
0: in, I, No, I put I put it in that day. Okay. So I just I wanted to make a point. You know, like you're not going to censor me, you're not anyway. going to silence me. I'm going to be bigger. I'm going to be bigger than anything that I could be at Rebel. Hmm. And it was. I was on Fox, and the video blew up. I mean, it was the most talked about video ever because nobody had ever had the balls to confront Hillary Clinton and ask her all those questions. Because most
1: people have ended up dead yeah. <laughs> for even looking yeah, at her. Yeah,
0: exactly. Most people that question her end up are buried. You know, ended up. Ended up. Uh, you know, committing suicide with two gunshots to the head because who knew that you could commit suicide by shooting yourself twice?
1: Explain for the, explain, I, I know what you're talking about. Explain for the viewers the, the the man you're talking about. This is a man who committed suicide and was found hanging from a tree with gunshot wounds.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's all types of, uh, they call it the Clinton body count list or the Clinton, the Clinton crime family because there's all these people. I think it's like over 47 people that have ties to the Clintons and uh, their, family, uh, their family members through business dealings or political dealings and any single time, like, there's any investigation into the Clintons. They did. These people just end up dead and they all, like, they all, they say, kill themselves, right? And it's or like, car people, crash. or car crashes. And it's people that, oh, well, their family members said they were so happy and they were, you know, so joyful just hours before. And then, you know, they said that one guy in particular, um, you know, committed suicide and he had two gunshot wounds in the head. It's like, how the hell do you kill yourself by shooting yourself in the head twice? You
1: yeah, shoot two, once. two gunshot wounds and he was hanging from a tree, right? If I remember right.
0: it may have been a separate person, but yeah, it's like you have one guy sitting on a park bench, his clothes were drenched in water as if, you know, somebody had placed him there. It's just so many crazy stories. People can go yeah. look it up and, and read it. There's, a, there's documentation and Roger Stone, ra- Roger Stone, who's, you know, dear friend of mine, wrote a book called The Clinton Crime Family as well, where he outlines all of it. I mean, it's Go just, down
1: that rabbit hole because there's some rabbit, it's, it's, it's insane.
0: That's insane.
1: It's insane. It's terrifying when you look at it.
0: No, it is. It's absolutely terrifying.
1: And you're straight in her face on Fox News. Go on, girl.
0: Yeah. And then I I, and then I followed her. What them. happened to I, the
1: 47 dead people, Hillary?
0: <laughs> well, I asked her about what happened to Seth Rich, who was this DNC operative uh, who ended up... You know, that was a big story around the time of the 2016 presidential election. This guy that worked for the DNC named Seth Rich. And everybody thinks that the Clintons had him killed because, you know, the whole WikiLeaks, the whole WikiLeaks investigation. And mm. this guy just he was found dead and they didn't take his wallet or anything. So who just shoots a guy dead, um, you know, in the middle of the night on the, on the street corner and doesn't even take his wallet. doesn't take anything. Mm. A lot of people believe that he was killed as a result of, uh, as a result of of leaking information. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole, Mm. I don't know. People have been sued over it. It's a whole, it's a whole conspiracy, but, um,
1: so many of those conspiracies end up being true.
0: But yeah, as you said, right? a lot of these conspiracies end up being true. So it's a lot. And that's when, that's when everybody started to be like the whole, the whole conversation around the Clinton body count and the Clinton crime family became, you know, a big mainstream story is when this guy, Seth Rich was found dead. So, you know, very sad situation, but this is what's happening in our country. And these people, you know, after I, after I confronted Hillary, I, I followed her throughout all of her different book signings. Right. So yeah, you went to all of them. And to did, did you do
1: this independently? Yeah. Okay.
0: So I traveled around and then eventually I was able to like get other people to do it too. And so InfoWars picked it up and then we were encouraging people like, okay, we'll give you $500 if you go to Hillary Clinton's book signing and you go confront her <laughs> and ask her questions. So throughout her entire book tour, she was just you know, ruthlessly, ruthlessly confronted and... We did it to Bill Clinton, too, during his book signing as well. I got Chelsea Clinton. I ambushed the daughter, Hillary, and her husband at their book signings. All three of them got the entire family.
1: This is what I mean about the tenacity, a um, dog of a bone. <laughs> You're not letting it slide on anything.
0: I asked Chelsea. Um, she wrote a child's book called She Persisted about women who persisted, even though they were told uh, to be quiet or to be silent. And, you know, Juanita Broderick, who's a friend of mine, she's but one of the women. that, that book yeah, could know, have been about you. book could have been about you. could have been about me. <laughs> <laughs> so I showed up to Chelsea's uh, book signing. And, um, you know, Juanita Broderick is one of uh, Bill Clinton's rape victims because, you know, during during the presidential election, two of you recall, Donald Trump invited all of the Bill Clinton's rape accusers to the debate.
1: I do remember, yeah. Le- and um, leg- Legendary move.
0: Yeah, I mean, just totally, totally ballsy. And... Um, Juanita's a a wonderful person, a friend of mine, and I remember I said, oh, wow, like women who have persisted despite being silenced, kind of like Juanita Broderick. So I said, I'm going to go to Chelsea's book signing, and I'm going to ask her about um, whether she could sign the book for a woman who persisted after being raped by Bill Clinton. So I asked her on video, I said, can you sign this book for my friend Juanita, a woman who's uh, been silenced but persisted otherwise even after being raped by your father, Bill Clinton?
1: Yeah, I definitely get why they've wanted you silenced. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well you see I tell these stories because like people think, oh, it's just like the Islam stuff and all they try to minimize me uh no, for cr- and they try to say is, Oh, she, you know, she's anti Muslim, she's Islamophobic. But I have done serious damage to some of the most powerful people in our country, like Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Chelsea Clinton, uh the former FBI director. Okay, I re- talk, to me about the for- t- talk
1: talk to me about the former FBI director.
0: So yeah, uh, James Comey, Comey, who pretty much orchestrated crossfire hurricane that you know investigation into Donald Trump that that initiated the coup against his presidency. Uh, was, this the, know, was this the was the Russia Russia collusion hoax?
1: Which was done with the MI five yes. sti- Steel.
0: Christopher Steele, Christopher yes, Steele exactly.
1: Lied created it for them. Lied
0: forged the uh, forged the information in order to get the FISA warrant. Yes. So
1: so you. Comey was in charge of it, and you. Comey
0: was the FBI director, and then he decided to write a book because all these, all these asshole politicians, right? That's what they do. They they write their books, they commit their crimes, and then they go talk about it. And what, <laughs> Just unbelievable, and right?
1: It, yep. You... So we had a
0: book tour five years ago. I've done it twice. I did it a couple weeks ago too at a second book tour because he wrote another book. <laughs> he thought he got off the first time.
1: <laughs> Mate, well, what happened when you confronted him?
0: So, at the same Barnes and Noble that I got Hillary Clinton at, eventually, you know, you run out of hairstyles because you get banned from Barnes and Noble as a blonde, and then you got to be a brunette, and then you got to be, you know, you have black hair, and it's like, shit, I ran out of hair colors, you know, so can't go back anymore. <laughs> got to find another location. But I confronted him at, um, At his book signing, and he had a book called "Higher Higher Loyalty," and it was supposed to be about ethical leadership. And And this has
1: all been proven. And this just so people, this has all been proven now. It was all lies.
0: Right, and now the John Durham report has come out, right? And it's like, what the fuck does the former FBI director know about ethical leadership? You know, it's a joke. It's a joke. And I thought, is the media going to go and confront him about this joke of a book called "Higher Loyalty: Ethical Leadership"? No. So I'm going to have to do it, right? Because nobody in the media is going to go ask the FBI director how he thinks that after staging a coup against the sitting United States president and briefing the president on this salacious dossier that was all made up with lies, lies about, you know, Donald Trump, like pissing on Russian hookers. I mean, some of the stuff that was in this dossier was like- They had
1: camera footage of it. Tied to British
0: intelligence. Which come from British intelligence, yeah. And as part of the book tour the second time around, you know, Comey actually had a part of his book tour in the UK just unbelievable what they get away with.
1: I was looking for steel. You know what? Because exactly what you're talking about. I wanted to confront steel in yeah. the UK. You created these lies. You were part of this. Part of this. You were part of it.
0: Yeah. So I stood up and I said, um, how was it ethical leadership to stage a coup against the sitting president? He was supposed to do a QA. and a These people, they say we're going to do Q&A, but scripted questions. And when I realized, when I got there, that they were going to have pre-written questions, I stood up before he could even begin his Q&A, and I started shouting at him, right? Hmm. So I got thrown out, and then after that, he targeted me. I found myself put in the FBI database, the NICS database, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, after I confronted the former FBI director, and I had my gun rights taken away from me. So the FBI put me on a gun list, and they stripped my ability to own a gun, and they didn't tell me. So imagine if my home would have been raided like a, like James O'Keefe and these other people who have had their home raided by the feds. Okay? You'd get prosecuted I'd be for, prosecuted illegally. for illegally, obtaining, illegally having a gun because I had a gun.
1: How did you find out?
0: So during my uh, congressional campaign, I ran for Congress. I ran for Congress twice. And the first time I ran in 2020, um, I was getting death threats all the time from Antifa and whatnot because I was the first. You know, my campaign, even though they wouldn't talk about me and they wouldn't let me, you know, do debates and interviews, they would write nasty things about me every day because I was the first candidate in United States history to be banned on all social media. Just like you, when you ran for office, you weren't allowed to have any social media. Which makes it
1: impossible. Because if you look at how other people reach the public now, it's through social media. Yeah, Their paid advertisement campaigns are through social media. They connect with the people through social media.
0: Exactly. You're fighting an unfair... And it was during COVID too. So imagine like trying to campaign during lockdowns when... The only way that you can campaign is online. And you remember I won, because you sent me the video. Yeah, yeah. Remember I even won despite all of the adversity. Okay, so I had a seven-way primary, and everybody on the left and the right said, oh, Laura Loomer is never gonna win. She's a joke. She's running to get her Twitter account back. Because after I got banned everywhere, I said, oh my God, if this can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. Mm. So I filed to run for Congress. And you know, I ended up winning my primary and started getting death threats. So I thought I need to get a concealed carry. Because in the U.S. you can have a gun, right? But to carry it, you have to be—you have to have a concealed carry, or you have to live in a state with constitutional carry. And at the time, Florida didn't have constitutional carry, so when I applied for the permit, it came back denied. And I was like, "Why the hell would it be denied? I don't have any." They Criminal. say that you have to have domestic violence charges, you have to have a felony, or you have to have a court hearing where the, where a judge deems you mentally unfit to be able to have a weapon. None of that's ever happened.
1: So you stand—you're about to stand for election, and then you find out. And you're receiving death threats. And at that point, you have your gun rights taken away.
0: Yeah, because I was a, I'm was a single woman, you know. I was living by myself. And my car was vandalized at my home. And then there was this, like, And sexual, that vandalized how? Uh, somebody egged it.
1: Targeted. Egged it. Tar- but targeted because it's your car. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they egged
0: it. Okay. They came to my place and they yeah. threw eggs all over my car. Okay. You know, and that destroys your car. Luckily, I caught it on time before it could dry. But you have eggs dry on your car, it destroys your paint. Yeah, yeah. So, um... So and then there was this like, video, this like, guy that was harassing me and stalking me and did a background check onto him and found out that he was a sexual predator and he had been arrested in New York for sexually assaulting a woman and he was filming videos outside my place, you know, like waiting for me at, at night. And I <coughs> was like, okay, I'm going to have to go live elsewhere while I'm running for Congress. I couldn't even live in my place. I had to live in the campaign house that I rented for my campaign staff.
1: Talk to me about that, though. You've got a man who's a sexual predator waiting outside your house. Yeah, so there was a sexual there was a sexual
0: predator. So when my car got vandalized, right, there was there was this video that was circulating then on Facebook and I didn't have Facebook and other people had sent it. And there was this guy that um, you know, had like I guess he had like been involved, he had said he was involved in like conservative politics, kind of very weird guy, and then People did a background check into him. We looked into him and found out that he had actually had some, you know, sexual assault charges against him in uh, the state of New York, right? And uh, had been accused of, you know, sexually assaulting women. And, you know, it just freaked me out because I'm like, I get home really late at night, like two o'clock in the morning. I have to go up this parking lot in this elevator by myself, and. Like, what if somebody gets into the building and they're just waiting for me? I need to have a gun, I need to be able to protect myself. I have a gun, I had a gun, I don't have a gun right now, but I had a gun, just a handgun, right? That I kept in the drawer next to my bed so that I could protect myself if somebody were to break in. And I thought I need to have a gun that I actually carry. So I applied for the license and um, it was denied. And I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, why is it denied? I think you made a mistake and I reapplied. And then they wouldn't tell me why it was denied and you have to fill out additional paperwork and appeal the process. And then when I appealed, they're like, oh, we can't give concealed carry permits to people that are in the next database. And I'm like, what the hell is the next database? And I look it up and I ask my lawyer, National Instant Criminal Background Check System. It's exclusively controlled and operated by the FBI. It's like, they put me in this database without telling me as a form of entrapment after I confronted so James Comey.
1: An entrapment in the so sense that if you had a gun... If I had a gun, because they raided,
0: they raided the home. So... I don't know. I mean, I'm sure this happens in the UK, but a lot of conservative activists have had their homes raided by the FBI, especially Mm. after J6 and, you know, like James O'Keefe had his home raided. Right. And, Mm. um, you know, a lot of people I know have had their homes raided by the feds and, or they just come and they do a search, right. If they were to have found a gun in my place, if I had not known about this Mm. and I had not looked into it, if I had just said, whatever, you know, like, I don't really care if I could carry a gun, whatever. I'm not going to like contest this at all. I still didn't know that I was on the next database, right? If they would have raided my home, I'd probably be in jail for four to eight years on a federal firearms felony. Wow. Because they didn't just ban- like say that I couldn't have a permit. When you're in the next database, they federally prohibit you from owning or even possessing a firearm. And nobody told me.
1: And this is at a time when you're see- receiving death threats, people are outside yeah, I your was house, a- I was a candidate vandalized. for
0: Congress. I won my primary. And you're a candidate for Congress. Donald- I was running in Donald Trump's home district called Florida 21 in Palm Beach. Trump had endorsed me. He what? voted for me. Donald Trump voted for me. Go on, Donald Trump. And it's Trump. like, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it was, <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't. But voted for me. That was worth standing just for Donald Trump voted for me. He on. voted for me in the primary, <laughs> and he voted <laughs> for me in the general. I love that. And I remember when, uh, when he voted, uh, then he was on the tarmac, right? And all the reporters there, and there was a reporter for the Daily Mail there, and, and you'd think that they'd have a million important questions to ask Donald Trump, right? And the question was, Mr. President, Mr. President, Mr. President. Did you vote for Islamophobic Laura Loomer today? Right? And his advisors, of course, had told him, like, not to say my name. So he said, I voted straight Republican down the ticket. So it's Donald Trump, Laura Loomer. So that means he voted, you know, for himself and he voted for me. Okay. That was his way of saying, yeah, I voted for Laura Loomer. And then they asked about me at the White House press briefing too. So there's video of after he tweeted about me when I won my primary election. And they used
1: falsehoods to then attack.
0: They, they ask in the official White House press briefing room... Um, on live television, oh, you know, the president tweeted in support of Laura Loomer last night. Do you know that she's made anti-Muslim comments in the past? Like, does the president stand by all of her Islamophobic rhetoric? It's just, you know, I've done so much more. I've I've done journalism that impacted the turn of events politically speaking in our country. You know, I went undercover and helped save the country from having Hillary Clinton as our president.
1: But Donald Trump so
0: much work, and it's like
1: Donald Trump more than anyone must it must be totally aware of the way that. Uh, things you've said are taken out of context, things are weaponized and comments are weaponized. So he must be totally yeah, aware.
0: But at the same time, like it's not like Donald Trump is the final decision maker, right? Yeah, so I mean, this level. just happened recently. I had a meeting with Donald Trump in March. So he invited me to Mar-a-Lago, I had a private meeting with him and he hired me in his office. He lo- He's like, I love your work. I think you're great. And he had said, if you run again, I'll endorse you. And I said, yeah, well, you know, I want to run. But at the same time, I think it's very important that we get you back into office because if you don't get back in, we're not going to have a country. Yeah. And he was just so impressed by like what I said, because most people go to him thinking, what can he do for me? Not what yeah, can course. I do for you? So he hired me, he looked at his staff and he said, we got to hire her. We got to have her on the campaign. She's great. And then he said, oh, she's, she's much smarter than some of these other idiots I have surrounding me. He actually said that. Mm. And I think that it pissed some of his staff off because it was supposed to be very private Supposed to be private and it got leaked and I got a phone call from the New York Times at 7 o'clock in the morning a couple weeks later And they're like we're doing a story about um, about this and they said "Uh, Do you care to comment on the president hiring you? And I was put in a really shitty position because I was told to keep it private So if you confirm or you give a comment you're confirming the meeting took place So I didn't want to betray Donald Trump's trust, right? So we had there's, a, there's advisors of his that tried to subvert and undermine him and undermine me by leaking and planting the story in the New York Times. And so the headline was, Donald Trump hired anti-Muslim, anti-Muslim activist Laura Loomer. And then by the end of the day, the story was, oh, they're not hiring her. And it's not that Donald Trump didn't want to hire me. He hired me. He hired me. He said I had the job. He wanted me to work for him. And he likes me. I mean... He just sent me notes the other day, right? I mean, I get notes from President Trump all the time. Like your your investigative journalism is great, right? He but it is me... great. But it is
1: great. It is great, and you go where not, you go where others won't go.
0: You know, he loves my videos. He he reposts my stuff. He likes me a lot. Um, but but you know, just because he likes you doesn't mean I know it sounds crazy. Like, oh, how does the president of the United States not have the final say? Like there are so many advisors and people whispering in his ear that
1: this looks bad. This doesn't look good. Oh,
0: this isn't good. We can't have her on the campaign, right? Because he's got so
1: many accusations already against himself that then that this could then back up those if they've got if they use the way you're talking. Well,
0: and there's nothing even wrong with me. Everything that I've said Mm. is what President Trump has said. I mean, he literally campaigned in 2015 and 16 on the fact that Islam hates us. He did an interview with the news and he said Islam hates us. It's a direct quote from Donald Trump. So. And it's not even like all of my work focuses on Islam. Like at a period of time I was investigating, I focus on United States politics, right? That's what I do. I report on U.S. political affairs. And I just happened to be doing a series in 2018 on Jihadist candidates running for office because 2018 was the year that the most Muslims were running for federal office in in United States history And a lot of them had open associations with (laughs) terrorist organizations So for like the rest of my life what like I'm gonna be deprived of an opportunity and I thought to myself Wow, that's the ultimate vindication from being canceled. Is like, you know, eventually getting hired by the president of the United States, Mm -hmm. right? And then they and then just, they like, they just well. take it away from me. So it doesn't matter like how much you vindicate yourself or how much you're right or you know the opportunities that you have. I've I mean, been, people no. wouldn't even believe the people that I've had conversations with. I've had meetings with President Trump, conversations with Elon Musk. Never talked about my conversations with Elon Musk, you know, but things that things that I have interactions that I've had with people, conversations that I've had with people. And, you know, people like to say, oh, she's crazy. Nobody takes her seriously. They'd be shocked if they went through my phone and saw who I've had communications with. Hmm.
1: Do you know what on President Trump? You know, the Donald Trump ban that he was instigating when he was running for office on the countries that he wanted banned from entering the United States. Yeah. If, the, if, if, Great, Britain, if Great Britain would have had that travel ban, then the Ariana Grande concert would never have been attacked. Because he would never yeah. have been able to travel to Libya to receive his bomb training.
0: Right. Exactly. So
1: you know, it been he, a, safer nation for it a lot a of
0: he saved a lot of people through his travel ban and that's what they did, right? The same people that went after Donald Trump and accused him of being the same Islamic organizations that went after Donald Trump. And they tried to get him banned from Twitter too. There was an entire campaign saying that he was like inciting violence against the Muslim community. It's Ridiculous. And they they uh, they said that his travel ban was Islamophobic. The same people that have gone after Trump have gone after me, right? So Hmm. it's like Uh, what chance do we have? What chance do we
1: have when he was when he? What chance (laughs) do we have though when he was a he's a billionaire and. And the leader and he was exactly. the president of the United States and they, right. and they can do it to him.
0: Exactly. Well, that was my entire point is that they're going to ban him. And people said I was crazy when I ran for Congress. I'm like, you know, I have to run I ha- and big tech, combating big tech tyranny was my number one plat- platform issue on my campaign. And they're like, that's just so crazy. Like you're running a campaign going after big tech. I'm like, yeah, it's the most important issue. You're going to see they're going to influence our elections because if they're going to silence you and they're going to steal your, steal your election, what does it matter what you think about immigration or abortion or gun control policy or anything like that because if your elections are your leaders are selected and your elections are stolen nothing due matters. to big tech censorship nothing else matters.
1: Do you think Donald Trump done enough in his in his in his presidency? Do you think On that- a lot
0: of things but the thing that I'm most critical of President Trump for doing and you know I'm open about it in my book and I'd say it to his face too is he didn't really do enough to combat big tech censorship. He mm-hmm. thought Look, I love President Donald Trump, but the fact of the matter is is that you know he's a narcissist, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that you have to, if you're going to be the most powerful man in the world, you better be a narcissist, right? You better love yourself and think you're the best thing ever if you're going to be leading the free world, or the supposed free world, because we don't really live in a free country, let's yeah. be honest. So I think it's a good thing that Donald Trump has a narcissistic personality. You want your president to have a narcissistic personality. But with being a narcissist, right, it's a double-edged sword, because while you carry yourself well, and you are intimidating to other world leaders, and people are intimidated by you. You also sometimes think that you're so powerful that nobody's ever gonna stop you, right? Like, oh, I'm the most popular Twitter user, so they're never gonna ban me. And that's where he went wrong: is he really, honestly thought that they would never take him off, and they did. Because they two don't days care after January 6, they deplatformed him while he was still the United States president before the transition of power. So, because he thought, right, that he was God's gift to Twitter, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, and let's be honest, he had like the most entertaining, the best Twitter account out of anybody, right? I loved it. I love it too. Rocket Man. I just love him. I love it. I mean, I just love it. But. He thought because of that that they would never because he's a businessman and he thinks from a business mindset, no, they don't care he about thinks, money or oh, business.
1: Is, is, he he thought it.
0: I bring them so much money because my tweets are, you know, always talked about and people are on Twitter just to oh, see yeah. my tweets. And it's true, like my father, for example, doesn't use social media and he only created a Twitter account, right, to keep up with Donald Trump. Yeah. So he was thinking from a business mindset of, oh, well, they're never going to ban me because I'm good for business. But they did. They had no problem shutting him down. They banned him from his banks. They banned him from uh, the payment processors. They banned him from all the social media companies. And they said he couldn't come back on. And even now, he's still not back on all the different sites.
1: Mm. Facebook is, again, now it's a two-year ban or something. Isn't it? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, they said he could come back on, but it's...
1: But come back you know, on, but and... you'll have to self-censor because we'll ban exactly. you Exactly. What are you um? What are you banned from, Laura? List me, what you're banned from.
0: I mean, honestly, it's so hard. It's so hard to like. Yeah, it's just easier to think about <laughs> what I'm not banned from.
1: <laughs> you're banned from everything.
0: I mean, I'm so banned. It's like, what am I? It's just easier to talk about what I'm not banned from. I mean, look, I got. I think it's in the book too. I got banned from Twitter. I'm banned from Uber, Lyft, Uber Eats. I'm banned from Facebook, Instagram, GoFundMe, PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, um, Clubhouse, Teespring, the site that allows you to make merchandise. What else? Uh, I got banned from my online banking through Chase Bank for a while. I got banned uh, from MGM Resorts for a while when I was exposing the Las Vegas shooting, which was actually a nice terrorist attack that they covered up. Um... Let's see. I mean, there's so many places. Uh, have you been
1: from. tried or convicted for any, criminally for anything?
0: No. I mean, the only thing that I've been arrested and charged for was trespassing and uh, disorderly conduct, but that's all been scrubbed because I, you know, I paid the fine and I did the community service. So
1: you've got no criminal for hate or racism or anything like that? No, and because, hate-
0: in, because in the UK, you guys have laws on that because you don't have free speech. Yeah. You guys have actual hate laws, you know? But in the United States, we're supposed to have free speech. There's no such thing as ha- uh, there's hate no speech. such thing as hate speech, even though they like to say it's hate speech. They said, do do you have incitement to
1: hatred laws No? If you incite violence? No,
0: we have hate crime laws. So incitement is not protected. Of course, that's where they draw the line with free speech is okay. when you incite violence. But that's that's you know. What I mean is what that's an intent or a threat. Like that's that's like either premeditation or. Or like it's a crime, right, to actually make threats of violence against people, what or I mean, to incite violence. What
1: I mean is, you've never—you're an American citizen. You've never been tried, convicted by a jury, no. and here you are, invisible, deleted, and banned from most. Facilities in the world. And not only
0: that, but these companies also said it's okay to kill me while denying me the ability to protect myself. So in 2019, um, they banned me on Facebook and Instagram on Holocaust Remembrance Day of all days. I mean these these people are so fucked up, Tommy. They do it on holidays. They banned me the day before Thanksgiving uh, on um, November 21st, 2018, when they banned me on Twitter. Then Facebook temporarily banned me this, the very next day on Thanksgiving for 30 days before they permanently banned me in May of 2019. And they banned me on Holocaust Remembrance Day. And why do I say that? Because they like to make it seem like I'm some kind of like Nazi white supremacist. That's what they said in their statement. But that's they exactly, that's what they
1: said in their statement.
0: They said that I was promoting white supremacy. And then they said that I was a dangerous individual. So they, they banned me. They banned uh, Paul Joseph Watson. They banned Alex Jones, Gavin McGinnis. And, of course, they had to throw Louis Farrakhan in there, right, to make it seem like, okay. oh, like Nation of Islam, oh, we're being fair.
1: And have you but, seen who you're banned? So there's a there's a discussion by a CEO of Facebook with a Danish journalist and they're questioning about me, because I'm I'm da- I'm on the dangerous list as well. Yeah. And he names a he named someone. He said, Oh well, Tommy Robinson's on, on this level. And he named someone. So I thought, who's that? So I looked at who it was, it's a Serbian warlord who murdered five thousand people in one day. So I'm sitting there thinking, What? You've got me on the level of a Serbian warlord who <laughs> massacred five thousand people in one day. That's the level you're on. This That's the
0: level building. I'm on too. And then I remember when this happened, I'm like Wait, what? Like dangerous, dangerous individuals and terrorist organizations? What the hell is this? And it's actual like terrorist organizations. They call them uh, human sex traffickers, mass murderers, uh, serial killers, and and Actual terrorists, right?
1: (laughs) A journalist that confronts wrong people.
0: So they decided to ban uh, like five of the most popular pro-Trump accounts on Facebook and Instagram, and mine was one of them. And then they said that I was on the level of a terrorist. And this was so outrageous. I remember when it happened. Trump actually tweeted about it, right? Uh, and then they had a social media summit on censorship at the White House. But then some of his advisors convinced them, oh, don't invite people like Gavin McGinnis and Laura Lamer and Alex Jones just invite all these people who weren't censored. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, and that's what keeps that's happening what now. It's just like ridiculous. That's so. what's happening
1: in my country. We're all talking about things that people have been censored and non-censorship and all GB News is the free speech channel. Yeah, like
0: that idiot Piers Morgan and his stupid show Uncensored. Uncensored. Like, when you censor like, us. you don't even know what censor's like, you yeah. asshole. <laughs> can't stand Piers Morgan.
1: No, neither can I. No, I can't, I can't stand the hypocrisy in all of it. By all of them. He's never had
0: anybody who's actually censored on. If he's a real journalist and cares about press freedom like he does and he's a proud Brit, why doesn't he have you on? I mean, really, you want to talk about uncensored? He won't
1: have me on because I'll tear him a new arsehole.
0: Yeah, won't have me on
1: either. Basically, he, that's why. Uh, I mean, it's so, just such
0: a mockery to have your show be called... Uncensored. Uncensored. like here, No, you but know, we have shows
1: uncensored. on GB News called Uncensored. They they are the, we we won't allow censorship, yet we've got their presenters now one by one saying, I've been banned from mentioning Tommy Robinson. I asked to have him, him and Katie Hopkins on my show. I've been told I'm not allowed. Total controlled media.
0: Yeah, they are controlled.
1: Totally controlled media.
0: And so... When they banned me, okay, I decided to sue for defamation because it's like you have a multi-billion dollar company and Facebook owns WhatsApp too and Instagram and they have over 3 billion users. That's like over half of the world's population when you think about it.
1: You have limited. And so right.
0: they've defamed me as a terrorist to over half the world's population. So I file a lawsuit against them for defaming me as a dangerous individual and classifying me as a terrorist. Okay. And that in the legal documents, they actually defended their ability. They said that Facebook had a First Amendment right to call me a terrorist and a dangerous individual. So, so you not, have a First Amendment right but to, I don't, but I don't. to defend myself. But check this out. It gets even worse. So you know what they did the day that I filed my lawsuit? Mm. Kid you not. You can, you can see it. It was reported briefly, but nobody wanted to touch the story. Of course. I filed my lawsuit against Facebook for... Uh, calling me a dangerous individual. And as retaliation against me, the day that I filed the lawsuit, they changed their terms of service and their dangerous individual's policy to say that it is legal and it is permissible and it is acceptable as part of Facebook's terms of service to quote, incite high severity or lethal violence against individuals classified as dangerous Dangerous organizations or yeah, so they
1: can say what they want about us. No,
0: they but they said that they could. It was acceptable to literally incite violence that could lead to our death, and they had the word death in there too. They said, "Hi, it's okay," and I have the screenshot of this too. I'll send it to you.
1: Is it still part of their terms? No, actually? they
0: changed it after we had exposed it. So the okay. day that I filed this as a way to try to silence me, because I filed a three billion dollar defamation lawsuit against them, they literally changed their terms of service to say that it's okay to murder me because they classified me as dangerous individual i remember paul Joseph watson posting about it too he's like so apparently it's okay to murder me and laura loomer now because we're on the dangerous individuals Mm. list so you won't so and it's ridiculous like you know if i were to make a threat against somebody i could go to jail so why is it that a multi-billion dollar company one of the most powerful companies in the world gets to declare open season on a private citizen and say that they're a terrorist and ruin their life and ruin their reputation and then I sue, and then the courts say that I don't have grounds for suing. It's unbelievable. It's just total discrimination. Do you know what they say to me about
1: grounds of suing? They've told me that because I already have a bad reputation. It's like, yeah, I have a bad reputation because you keep lying.
0: That's what they said, too, in this. And, and then, the, and then the, the judge that the case was appointed to was a black man, okay? <laughs> so then they started in their, in their, in their appeal, or not their appeal, their the response to our appeal when they said that, um, that they wanted the, the case to be dismissed, um, they were like, oh, well, Loomer, white supremacist. Like, they kept on trying to say white supremacist to try to psychologically manipulate this black mm. judge. It's like, white supremacist, I'm Jewish. It's just yeah, how, me, do you make, me, how do you, like, be underst- a Nazi white supremacist? Yeah, let me you're understand
1: Jewish? that. What is your view? Let, let me, un- if you're being labeled a Nazi and a white supremacist, you're born a Jew, you're a proud Jew. Yes. Yeah. You're a supporter of Israel. Yeah. Where does the white supremacy come from, from them, their point of view?
0: I'm a free speech absolutist, right? And so a lot of Nazis and actual white supremacists are people who are white nationalists. And I don't even necessarily think they are Nazis. I mean, some of them are. Do you you
1: separate white nationalism from Nazism?
0: Yeah, I do. Because white nationalism, as far as I'm concerned, is no different than Zionism, right? You could be a Zionist and you can be... What does
1: Zionism mean to you?
0: You believe Israel has a right to exist. I'm which a Zionist. I mean? I'm a Zionist. You're a Zionist, aren't you?
1: Yep, let me read this. You're a
0: Zionist, aren't you? I'm a Zionist. I'm a Zionist. I,
1: let me read this. I
0: believe Israel has a right to exist. It's Jewish nationalism. And so I'm a Zionist, right? But because I defended the free speech rights of white nationalists, I said, so let me understand this. You're okay with Israel, which is an ethno state existing. Israel is a Jewish ethno state, okay? Uh, Judaism being Jewish is classified as a race now. If you believe in Zionism and you're okay with Jews having their own ethno state, why are you going to try to silence people and criticize white people who are under attack and being told that they're racist and that, you know, they're less than, right, and being accused of all these things from their ancestors and, you know, previous generations that they're not allowed to have their own states? And so I said, what, you're not allowed to be a nationalist and proud of being white. You're allowed to be a black nationalist, like the the Democrats and Black Lives Matter. That's a black supremacist, black nationalist movement supported by the Democrat Party in the country. Okay. And even some rhino Republicans have supported it. You're allowed to have any type of nationalist movement that you want unless you're white. Right. And so because I defended the free speech rights of individuals who were classified as Um, white nationalist, right? There's a difference between white supremacy and white nationalists. Everybody should be a nationalist. Everybody should be proud of where they come from, right? You're proud to be British, right? You want to protect, you want to, you Mm -hmm. you want to protect your sovereignty. You want to protect your, uh, what it means, right? To be a Brit. You want to protect the culture and the heritage and you want your country to remain Majority English, right? Which means what? White English males of and course. women, right? You don't want it to be overrun by Islamic migrants and foreigners and people who don't even speak your English.
1: Or any migrants. Speak because English, that, any migrants. It should remain a majority
0: Right, but that's really, you know, English why, you know, I'm, but, you know, given the fact that Muhammad is now the number one name in the UK, right, I'm specifically saying Islamic migrants because that's really the mass migration that has affected uh, the UK and so many other places in Europe. And so you say this, and it's like, what, you're not allowed to be proud of your country. All it means to be a nationalist is that you, I think we would both identify our political ideologies as nationalistic, totally. right? I'm a nationalist. You're proud. You want to preserve your, 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 your national sovereignty. And then you just put the color of your skin in front of that. And, it's and there's like, a meltdown. There's a meltdown. And so I explain this and they go absolutely ballistic. And because I'm fair and because I say, oh, well, if Jews are allowed to be Zionists and that's essentially Jewish nationalism and an ethnostate, why are we going to be so hard on others? (coughs) They like me because I have advocated for their free speech rights. And so a lot of people who would otherwise be classified as anti-Semites in the media are people that are labeled as white supremacists or neo-Nazis by the media. Um... They like me, even though I'm Jewish. And sometimes you'll hear them say, like, the only Jew I like is Laura Loomer.
1: i got this. Why is Laura Loomer flying to Spain to interview the Zionist Tommy Robinson, who works for Israel? <laughs> i fucking <can't> hell. <laughs> works for Israel. If I find it insane, but the the, the the argument comes here from some from some genuine white supremacists and Nazis that, that label it and me, that say because, um, because I say I believe in the homeland for Jewish people, if the Muslims have got 52 homelands, why can't the Jews have one? I believe in the only democracy in the Middle East. Yeah, like, and I how many times,
0: it. they like to say that that Israel doesn't belong to the Jews. Well, how many times is Jerusalem in the Quran? Yeah. How many times? It's not.
1: What do you say, what about Nick, talk, talk to me about, because I haven't looked into Nick Flueno so much. I've watched him recently. He's a very good orator. Yeah. A very skilled orator. Um, I know, what's your opinion of him? I like Nick. Yep. Yeah? Yeah, we get along. What about his recent disc? What about his recent video? You see which one? Recent- the recent one. I've only again. I've only seen snippets where I've seen people go mad saying he was addressing five thousand people and he was he was talking about verses from which I believe is the Old Testament even.
0: Oh, where he's reading that from the Talmud and whatnot. Yeah, it's a conference in West Palm Beach. Look, I like to say this. I like to say I don't agree with Nick on everything, and I've been very open about this and very public about it as well. Right. I'm Jewish, okay, Nick is not, and he makes uh, inflammatory comments about uh, Israel and Jews sometimes. That's his right to do that. That's your right in the United States of America. Okay, we already went over this uh, in the Skokie case where you had uh, not actual Nazis, okay, retain a Jewish lawyer who defended them in their case so that they could have their... They're neo-Nazi marches. And it's already been established as law in this country that even Nazis are entitled. And I'm not calling Nick a Nazi, right? I'm not saying that he's a Nazi. But I will fight for his right for free speech. And Which is great. And he has been put on the no-fly list, okay? He has been targeted by the feds as well. He has uh, been silenced and banned everywhere just like I am. And there's not many people that can relate to that. And until he actually picks up a gun and kills somebody or incites violence, right, There's no justification for what they're doing to this young guy in his 20s simply because he says things that they think are anti-Semitic. And if I, as a Jewish woman and free speech absolutist, can stand up for his right to free speech, right, why is it so hard for other people to do the same? You don't have to agree with everything that somebody says. I don't agree with everything that he says. What do you, I do not. What do you but think? I will But I, I, I think it's wrong what has happened uh, to people like him, people like me, people like you. Yay? And, yeah.
1: What, what's your view? What, what's your views? Well, I want to go back onto this, but what's your views on the meeting that was held with Yay and Nick Frenters went to the meeting with Donald Trump?
0: So there was a oh, lot Was it a trap? Of, was that a trap? Yeah, but it, it was a trap. So, uh, but it wasn't a trap by Nick. So what happened was uh, Nick had really wanted to meet Ye, right? And um, at the time, right, a lot of people don't know the backstory on this. I had, uh, why, would on wanna, this why, why would Nick want,
1: want to meet Ye? Because
0: he idolized Ye. Okay. He loved his music, and he always wanted to meet Ye. I don't know. He just had some fixation with Ye. So he wanted to meet him. And Milo, okay, he who shall not be spoken of, <laughs> total, you know, degenerate, um... I think he's, you know, you've had your own issues with him as well. I mean, just total, I, I, total, I, I pers- total extortionist, you know? I, mean, I, per- really, I personally
1: haven't. I, I followed Milo when he went to America and he blew up and then he was gay and now he's not gay, right? He's a Christian he's, he's he's Christian. He's still Christian.
0: gay. I mean, look, you can you can claim to be uh, Christian all you want, but as I like to say, you can't pray the gay away. <laughs> I
1: like that one. You can't. <laughs> so he, so he's... The meeting was set up.
0: I mean it's like one minute he's gay, one minute he's straight, one minute he's Jewish, then he's not Jewish. Oh, then he says he's only Jewish so that he can get My money from Jewish. rich. Well that's what he said, right? He his whole shtick was I'm a I'm a anti-Islamic, anti-Islamic, homosexual, uh blonde Jewish man. And then it's like, oh no, he says, I just I just made up the fact that I was Jewish so that I could get donations from Jews. And now he's like, you know, some <laughs> Christian nationalist who's like <laughs> you know, <laughs> prayed the gay away, please give me a break. You know? I mean, you don't go from talking about like sucking your boyfriend. People say I'm Jewish. You don't, say you don't go from, you know, you don't go from talking about like, you know, sucking off your black husband and swallowing his cum to being like, Oh, by the way, like I'm straight. I've repented. He's still gay. Everybody knows he still is with his black husband. And anyway, I don't want to like my, make my, this about him. But
1: no, he's come out long now. Long story
0: short, he was able to get Um, Ye's number, okay, from somebody and kind of like swindled his way into Ye's operation. And then when he was out there meeting with Ye in California, right, he was talking about Nick. And so Milo wanted to be the gatekeeper, you know, for Nick. So Nick then goes out to California and Ye was supposed to have a meeting with Donald Trump months prior to all this happening, but something came up and, you know, canceled. So then the meeting ended up getting rescheduled the dinner meeting for when Nick was out in California with Milo and Yay. So then what ended up happening is Yay without telling Trump was like, "Okay, I'm going to this dinner, right? But then Nick was with him and he said you're just going to come with me." That's a that's a very
1: naughty move on Ye's part.
0: Yeah, it's not appropriate, but it's
1: disrespectful. it
0: is disrespectful, but at the same time Milo was the one that was like pushing for this, right?
1: And Milo and wanted Milo, to get back at Trump because Milo
0: wanted to get back at Trump because he doesn't like Trump. He he thinks that Trump should be taken down and has publicly said that you know Trump Trump deserves to be destroyed, right? He said that publicly. For
1: what reason does he say that? Do you
0: know? I don't know. Okay. I I just think that. No problem. I just think he's
1: so Nick an evil
0: person, you know, okay. Milo. So he um goes to this dinner and it's supposed to be a private dinner. You're not supposed to repeat conversations that you have with the president over a private dinner, you know? And then he ends up, I had a major falling out with my former political strategist, right? And so then Milo uh, had connection with her, met her because Milo and I used to be friends, right? Until he tried extorting me and, you know, just very disloyal behavior. And um, I would even say criminal behavior so long story short he tells her to go to this dinner right so she shows up to this dinner and tries to like ambush donald trump by saying oh i'm yay's political advisor right and he's going to run for president because they wanted to try to embarrass trump they thought it was just a meeting with trump and yay right to talk about non-political things and then they're like oh why don't you embarrass uh president trump and show up and have his former uh florida state director from 2016 (laughs) sitting there as Ye's political advisor. And then they leaked the information, uh, Milo did, not Nick. Milo leaked the information about the dinner too. Nobody even knew that Nick was gonna be there. Nick had not told anybody about it, right? It was supposed to be totally private. And then Milo and Karen were the ones that leaked it to the media. And they even told the media that they did it on purpose to get back at Donald Trump and to make his life miserable. So, you know, Nick had always been a supporter of uh, President Trump's, and he's recently endorsed him again. And he has a right to, you know, free speech, just like every other American citizen. Uh, but that was a setup, right? That yeah. was a setup orchestrated by yeah, I Milo when I saw it, I and Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman from Georgia, who at the time had Milo on her payroll. So Milo was her intern and had received payment for, for you know, from her staff. And the same day of the dinner uh, with Yay. Marjorie Taylor Greene used her campaign funds and her campaign manager purchased the domain Yay24.
1: Marjorie Taylor did.
0: Marjorie Taylor Greene did, who pretends to be like a President Trump ally. So on the day of of the same dinner at Mar-a-Lago, her campaign funds were used to purchase the Yay24 domain, yay24.com. It was purchased with her funds by her campaign manager, Isaiah Wharton. And then it was transferred over to Milo's name, so it was a total setup. Yeah. They did this on purpose because then to you have, to then, you have then you have Kevin McCarthy and all these Republicans criticizing Usually. Donald Trump, saying, "Oh, Donald Trump had dinner with a white supremacist," and it's like, you know, okay. they used it as a way to say, "Okay, Donald Trump shouldn't be president anymore. Like we need to have another alternative." And then they transferred a lot of those like Jewish donors over to you know supporting Ron DeSantis. So it was a total setup because even Kevin McCarthy used it to attack Donald Trump and. Who's Kevin McCarthy's new best friend, right? Marjorie Taylor Greene, total inside job. And then when I you spoke- talk about
1: Jewish large Jewish donors, if if we can if I can ask you the Jewish question, the Jewish question, because this is what Nick Fluentis would be pushing, uh, and say, and there clearly are some Jews who are at the top. Who are working against? I'd say the United States or the interests of the co- of the country. But I I, I don't think yeah you he help the situation by saying Jews Jews Jews. I don't think Nick Lentz... I don't think personally don't think Nick Lentz helps no, the situation. No, and
0: that's what I said. I don't I don't agree with everything that they've said, but I do believe in their right to free speech. I don't think that you should have your you know, contracts with Adidas or your bank account shut down and your funds frozen. I don't think that you should be put on a national watch list and be deemed as a terrorist like I have, right, simply because of what you say, yeah. whether it's about Islam, whether it's about Jews, whether it's about whatever, right? It's it's just ridiculous that that's happening in our country. So people tend to, tend to say, oh, well, Laura defended this person, so she subscribes to all their views. No, I'm a free speech absolutist, so okay. I can defend their right to free speech without agreeing with everything. Yeah. But I do think there's an element to, you know, I'm not saying that Jews control everything, but if you look at the power structure in the United States and you do look at a lot of these organizations that are working with big tech, like the ADL, for example, right?
1: I don't, yeah, I don't know the in depth thing on, they I call
0: themselves uh, a Jewish organization. And they say that they're the leading Jewish civil rights organization in the country. And it's like, all you do is defame other people, right? All you do is work with big tech to silence people. And they've even come after me, right? So then you look at some of these um, you know, other individuals like George Soros, who happened to be Jewish or powerful left-wing Jewish individuals like Mark Zuckerberg. And there is an element of truth to this. I mean, for 2% of the world's population, there is a disproportionate amount of power within the Jewish community. Probably because Jews are so smart, and Ashkenazi to Jews, Ashkenazi to Jews have the highest IQ. When you look at IQ science, you'll see that Ashkenazi Jews rate at the highest level. They have the highest IQ out of any group of people in the entire world. And so, obviously, you're going to have Jews in positions of power and wealth because you know and they Jews have super high IQs. And they
1: don't have broken families, and they keep it. With.
0: Well, I guess I'm the exception, okay, right? Yeah. I'm okay, the exception, yeah. not the rule.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, okay, so. but
0: but you know um. That's kind of like where I think people have this misconception. So I think you should be able to point out whether somebody's Jewish or not or the fact that, oh, wow, a lot of these media executives happen to be Jewish or a lot of these banking executives happen to be Jewish. But this idea that you're immune to anything if you're simply Jewish is not true because where's my Jewish privilege? You know, I'm the most banned woman in the world. And yet I've been canceled. And some of the people that have like worked hardest to make my life a living hell are Jews at the ADL and people like Mark Zuckerberg, who happens to be Jewish himself. Right. And the Jewish community has like totally disavowed me. Like a lot of these right wing Jews, they would behind the scenes. Oh, go, you know, we want to help fund, right. We want to fund this uh, investigation into Ilhan Omar, but we can't have our fingerprints on it. Right. So it's like, you're going to throw me under the bus when I get banned and you're not going to help me and you're not going to help me with my legal fees. Now that I've been like, totally screwed by the justice system in America and I have hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines against me. So I can understand like why, why this conversation has been created, but I don't subscribe to all of it. But I do think that there are some legitimate criticisms about the Jewish community, criticisms that I even share.
1: But do you think that, that some of the actions of the Mark Zuckerbergs or some of the actions of the George Soros is because they're Jewish? Do you think it's because of No, the-
0: I don't. And that's where I draw the line. I think that, you know, they point out the fact that they're Jewish, but I don't think there's like, you know, some global conspiracy where it's like, oh, if you're Jewish, it's like inherently in your DNA to want to silence somebody because I'm a free speech absolutist and, you know, it's not all Jews. And so yeah, yeah. they also seem to have like totally bastardized the word Zionist. And this is another thing that I don't agree with Nick on, right? So I can get along with somebody. Right, on a personal level and connect with them on a personal they, they, level. They they
1: they they use Zionism as meaning something different.
0: They they think Zionism is a first. dirty word, like, oh Israel first and it's not. You just believe Israel has a right to exist. And so they're like the Zionists, you know, like they want to control the world. It's like no, the globalist leftist Jews are not Zionists because they're supporting all the Palestinian NGOs and the Islamic NGOs that are trying to overrun Israel. They don't believe in a one-state solution like I do. Real Zionists, right, support a nationalist immigration policy. Real Zionists believe in a one-state solution and not a two-state solution, right? Real real Zionists are open and proud about proclaiming that there's no such thing as Palestine because Palestine doesn't exist. Okay, these are displaced Jordanians. And so, you know, you, you, you say these things and the people that want to like push this conspiracy that Zionists control the world, they don't want to have an honest conversation about it because if you are a nationalist, right, then you should have no problem with actual Zionists because Zionists are usually the right-wing Jews. Mm-hmm. But groups like the ADL, they don't support Israel. Their actions are actually contributing to the infiltration and subversion of Israel. Okay, they, 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 they don't support nationalist uh, uh, policies. They don't support immigration control. They're the same group that returned the money that Donald Trump donated to them prior to him running for president because they called him a Nazi when he wanted to have his travel ban. Why is a Jewish organization that's supposed to exist for the sake of combating anti-Semitism more focused on going after pro-Trump Jews like myself instead of combating the actual jihadist Jew haters serving in the United States Congress?
1: Yeah, because they have a globalist worldview. Well, yeah
0: exactly there's a difference between globalists and zionists so their their terms and the things they say about jews would be correct if they actually switched the term zionist to globalist right
1: yeah but
0: you know and not all all the globalists are
1: jews not all the people pushing this are jews and that's
0: another thing too they're not all jews so some of the most destructive and most powerful people in the world are catholic the pope okay total communist total um joe biden nancy pelosi Okay, some of the most powerful and destructive and hateful people in American politics today are Catholics. They're not Jews. So if they were to refine their rhetoric, they would get more people on board with their cause. And I've had conversations with Nick about this. I said, look, you're not exactly correct when you say, you know, Zionist, right? Or you call it the the Zog, right? The Zog, whatever they call it, right? I say, I say that you understand there's a difference between globalists and Zionists. But some people just don't want to hear it. But I, I get a lot of shit and people criticize me for defending certain people, but it's hill I'm willing to die on. I don't think that anybody should be silenced because of their views, even if there no, are because, people No, because it, are... even
1: if they have those views and they're better off out in the light and people can debate them and win the debate on those issues... if somebody is
0: like openly calling for me to be shoved in a gas chamber, I don't care because it's like, I'd rather have those viewpoints out in public for people to see them and to debate them than to silence people because... When you censor and when you silence, you actually create more extremism. So their whole point of silencing people and censoring people is to counter extremism or extremists like they call us. They're actually creating more of those views. Well, I
1: don't think there is to the counter because because real extremists still have their platforms. Well, that's my point. And they've maintained that's why them the whole way but through. But that's my
0: point, though. It's It's... it's they're not actually focused on combating extremism because the actual extremists and the actual terrorists and hate groups are still platforms. It's
1: mainstream voices. main exactly. People that can reach mainstream voices. Exactly. That, that can unite people on the mainstream banner.
0: Exactly. And so they have to just silence us as a way to prevent us from sharing our views because they know that our views are superior to the actual extremists and haters and the actual mm-hmm. terrorists that exist. We're not the real terrorists. But if we're gone and we're non-existent, then... No one's ever going to hear our viewpoint. Well, they
1: worry because we can galvanize me- masses. Yeah. That's their fear. You, um, So you stood for election. You stood for Congress. Will, will you stand again?
0: You know, I ran twice. And, you know, after watching what the Republican Party did, silencing me and not fighting for me when I was completely banned on all social media and not even allowed to have a campaign account, You know, it's very hard running for office and I out-fundraised and outperformed the incumbent that I ran against. Three million?
1: Three million, did you raise?
0: Collectively with both my races, yeah. By myself, by the way. So.
1: Well, do you remember we done a video in England?
0: Yeah, I remember that. I have that video and you said you you made me a banner. Yeah, we made
1: you a banner supporting Laura Luma. Yeah, it was was so nice
0: of you. But it's just... I don't know. You know, I feel like America's done. I feel like our country has failed. I really do. I feel like we are a failed state now and I support Donald Trump and that's the only person I'll vote for if Donald Trump isn't on the on the ballot. I'm just not voting. I'm not voting. I think I don't think that uh, there's anything left worth fighting for if Donald Trump isn't going to be back in office because our country has gone to hell. It's a joke to say that we live in a free country. There's no such thing as America being the freest country in the world anymore when you have political prisoners, people locked up over January 6th. Locking people up for protesting a stolen election. I mean it's just absurd. It's ridiculous. They have no problem with leftist stories when the when capital. they were
1: welcomed into the building. By when police. police stood down, exactly. when the police were purposely stood down, Nancy Pelosi refused the opportunity to have more officers there. It was it was a total entrapment and a setup. In, and I believe in order to use now to prevent the American public ever wanting to come out people will be fearful to come out and protest over any future election issues. Because of what they've done over January 6th.
0: Well, and that's exactly the effect that it's had, right? They've silenced people. It's had a chilling effect on speech We shouldn't protest. We
1: shouldn't do this. Yeah, it's just
0: crazy. We don't. And um, we don't have free and fair elections, right? We don't have freedom of association because if you can be blacklisted and have your career destroyed and be financially ruined or fired from your job because of who you associate with. Like when I got banned on Facebook, for example, they had a policy that said, we're going to start monitoring people's... Uh, Offline behavior as well. So they had people surveilling certain people you were probably surveilled too, Mm. Surveilling me like literally spying on me and my outside activity to see who I was associating with and you didn't even have to Post something on social media to get banned They created a policy that said if you are seen or photographed associating with they called it off-platform behavior violations so if you were, I think Michelle Malkin posted a photo of me and Gavin McGinnis and she like got her account locked in silence because they had deemed me and Gavin as dangerous individuals who you had on your podcast. It's like, so now you can just simply associate with someone. So if somebody were to come, you know, hang out with you or visit you or- be with you or uh,
1: Anyone, a, a worker, a they,
0: They'd be shut down in silence. No. So it's a joke. I mean, what, why would anyone want to live in the United States of America anymore? Honestly. And I'm not anti-American. I mean, I'm as big of a patriot as they come, but
1: what do you see? Why would
0: anybody want to live in the country anymore when you're going to be jailed or you could be arrested or, you know, imprisoned simply because of who you vote for? It's not a free country. And to have to like live a life like this, I mean, I I honestly get anxiety thinking about the fact that I'm just only 30 years old. I mean, to think that I could potentially have to be subjected to another 70 years if I live to 100. Living another 70 years in this absolute shithole that is now the United States of America, and it is a shithole. I know that people will say, "Oh, she's she's anti-American for saying that," but the United States has turned into an absolute many of shithole. the cities
1: look like third-world cities with the homelessness yeah. problems, with the poverty, with the. I
0: mean, I feel like a political prisoner. Honestly, I really do. And here, I was telling you, I said, "Wow, it's like the first time I've really been happy." You know, I mean, I don't even remember the last time I like took some time for myself and relaxed and sat outside and just enjoyed an ice cream. You know, I can't enjoy my life in the United States because I have like been made to feel like a political prisoner. Everything I do is scrutinized and, you know, people want to silence me. I'm not embraced. Nobody knows who the hell I am on the streets of Spain. Nobody knows who I am when I go, you know, to Costa Rica or El Salvador. They don't know. But it's like, I feel as if my ability to live a life of joy and happiness and to actually have a fulfilling life or future in the United States has just been like totally taken from me. And it sucks. Like you have lost everything fighting for British sovereignty. Think about it, right? Like to preserve your country and to prevent, you know, a total Islamic takeover or just mass immigration into the UK. And you have been punished there should be statues resurrected, right, honoring you for your 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 accomplishments and your sacrifice. But instead, you're treated like a terrorist, while actual terrorists are given, you know, stipends by the government.
1: Do you feel I always use the phrase? I love my country, and it hates me back. Yeah, I feel like that about America.
0: That's how I feel. I love my country, but the country hates me, and. You know, I really got to see it when my job with President Trump was sabotaged, right? Like, when I got hired, it's like, you can have a meeting with the President of the United States, and he can, how does it get even higher than that? I mean, Uh, you have a meeting with the most powerful person in the entire country, and if your job can be taken from under your nose, and you could be canceled, even in the presence of the most powerful person in the world, like, what's left? You know, it's just, no matter what you do, everything is going to be taken from you. And so I'm doing my best right now because I believe that Donald Trump is the last fighting chance our country has. And that's what I'm focused on. But I really just don't see a future for myself or any other American if Donald Trump isn't put back in the White House in 2024. And it's not a testament of, you know, my own inabilities to, you know, do something outside of politics. It's just reality, right? Like they just want to shove Hopium and copium as I call it down the throats of Americans and they say, oh, you know, it's gonna get better You just have to be positive. The world's gonna get so much better. It's not It's not getting better. It's getting worse It's getting worse every single day and we have a responsibility to tell people how bad it's gonna get so that they can prepare adequately and protect themselves Or else they're gonna become like us
1: You realize how sad all this is
0: Yeah, it's really sad, but you know that's my life, right? That's your life too. Mm. And we're just expected, like we're, we're told that because we have enormous followings and enormous platforms that we can't be honest with people and we have to be positive. And, oh, we're such downers if we actually tell people the truth. But that's the truth. It's dark, it's getting worse. And, you know, people got to save themselves unless they want to end up with a future like ours.
1: You've took knockback after knockback after knockback, and you've carried on going how many more knockbacks can Laura Luma take?
0: Well, I mean, what else is there, right? I mean, I always joke. I'm like, people say, oh my God, you really have no filter, you know? (laughs) You're so brave. And they say, wow, you're not scared of anything. It's like, well, what are they going to do? Cancel me? That's the joke I say. What are they going to do? Cancel me? Like, really honestly, how much worse could it get? I've been jailed for my speech. I've had my bank account shut down. I've lost my livelihood. I'm in debt. Like, I can't, you know, I I don't have, I don't have, you know, a husband. I don't have kids. I don't... Like, what are they going to take from me that's left? My life? They're going to put a bullet in my head? Like, what is left aside from my actual, like, physical life that they could take from me? So what's the point? Why would I give a shit about what any of these people think? Why would I care anymore? Like, my own country has basically disowned me, just like your own country has disowned you.
1: We're having a good time in Spain.
0: I'm having a great time. So, but it sounds dark. But this is what it means to it stand is dark, for something, but it is right? Dark, yeah. They want people that they can control, right? So you're always told, "Oh, America, the land of the free, the home of the brave." No, the land of the free, absolutely not. The home of the brave. If you're brave, you might find yourself sitting in a gulag. Eventually. Eventually, if you stand for something.
1: Or, um, I'm not going to call it stunned. One of your act, um, activities, Nancy Pelosi. Talk to me about how you end up on a front lawn.
0: Yeah, so, you know, Nancy Pelosi was the Speaker of the House. So she was the third most powerful person in the United States uh, government at the time. And we have an immigration crisis just like you have in the UK. You know, our border is wide open right now. And uh, during the Trump administration uh, at the time when I did this, uh, President Trump was trying to secure a few billion dollars of the budget uh, for a wall. And, you know he wasn't asking for a lot. It was like $5.7 billion. And our government actually went into a shutdown mode uh, where they shut down the federal government. It was the longest government shutdown in U.S. history because they were so resistant towards giving Donald Trump uh, the nearly $6 billion that he wanted for the funding for the U.S. Southern border wall. Mind you, you know, they don't even bat an eye when it's like, okay, we're going to sign off on another $200 billion. They've spent about $200 billion to Ukraine right now. Well, I knew it was over so $100
1: billion, so that's what I was going to... It was,
0: it's like $200 billion now with all the money that they've sent. And then a, a few weeks ago, they're like, oh, you know, we had an internal accounting error at the Pentagon, and it looks like an extra $6 billion was sent. An accounting error of $6 billion, really. It's like unbelievable. And there's no trace
1: for where the money goes. In, in the no, they don't Just, give us.
0: They don't give us any accounting for it. And there needs to be, in my opinion, an itemized list, like the way this whole thing was approached. Right about them sending aid to Ukraine, which I'm, you know, inherently opposed for. I think that, personally, I think Zelensky's a Nazi. I think that uh, this whole idea that you know we are, uh, you know, fighting for Ukrainian sovereignty and, then, then that, and that Putin is some kind of like you know dictator. I just don't buy it, honestly.
1: Explain this. Uh, you're Jewish. Explain the comment that Zelensky's a Nazi. What do you mean?
0: Well, you know, when when Putin came out and said that, um, you know, they had the invasion and that they were combating uh, Nazification, right? Mm. People said, oh, how can he say that when Zelensky is Jewish? Well, it's easy, right? It's an easy cope for everybody in the media who is pro war and is trying to get people on board with the Ukraine war and trying to push for Ukraine to join NATO at the expense of perhaps nuclear war with the rest of the world, right? World War III, we're talking about, Um, by just saying, oh, he's Jewish. And it's like, really, how's he Jewish? He's Jewish, and yet he's using the funds that are sent to him by the United States government, billions of dollars, to go fund these militias like Azov Battalion, which are actual Nazis. And when you look back at the history of Ukraine and their relationship with the Jews, I mean They
1: massacred, massacred. Uh, They, they were massacred.
0: They massacred. They are Nazis and they still have Nazis in Ukraine today. And um, I just I just don't buy it. I mean a true Jew would not be, you know, giving funding to Nazi coalitions within the country as a way to combat the Russians. So I think that there's this real vilification of Putin while, you know, other more sinister figures, people like Zelensky, are put on a pedestal, invited to speak before the United States Congress. And, you know, you have the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, literally walking around with a Ukraine flag. And I said, if there's two flags I wish I could never see again, I mean, if they were burned out of existence and I never had to see them again. It's the it's the goddamn pride flag. Okay. <laughs> I, and the Ukraine a, flag. <laughs> I never want to see every, a Ukraine flag or a pride flag ever again. And
1: why does every moron that says Sanctuary on Twitter or online <laughs> have a you have a Ukraine and a pride flag I together? Don't know,
0: but they have them together now. It's like fist. a pair. <laughs> yeah. It's a BLM fist, a Ukraine flag and a pride flag. It's like Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my. It's awful. So Yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. And so when this happened, um, I said, wow, it's uh, it's really hypocritical because just like I'm sure you see in the UK, all these politicians that are advocating for open borders and pushing for sanctuary cities and, you know, homes for all these migrants and they say, welcome all the migrants in and, oh, we don't want the travel bans. Yeah, they're all elitist politicians. Nancy Pelosi and her husband are worth over $200 million and they have like 25 different properties, all of them with walls and security. So you have walls at your private residence, but you don't want us to have a wall for our border to keep all the migrants out, you know? So I thought to myself, well, I found her home in Napa Valley, California, which is a sanctuary city. And during the, lock, during the uh, government shutdown, I decided that I was going to hop over her fence. And it's so easy to find illegal aliens in the United States, especially in California, because, you know, they're sanctuary. So they, they know that even if they get found out, they can't be deported because they have catch and release policies, where it's like, you catch an illegal alien, but you have to release them because that's the policy in California. So I drove down to the Mexican border and showed myself hopping over from, from the California side to Mexico, and then hopping over again from Mexico to California to show how easy it was. You put
1: a sombrero on?
0: Yeah, and I, I did, and I put a <laughs> sombrero and a poncho on, and I said, okay. And I made it like very theatrical, and I'm like, okay, now that we're here in America and we've hopped over from Mexico, we're going to go claim sanctuary. And I hear there's a lot of really nice, generous politicians with big homes. And we're going to go see if we can find them. So then uh, I go to San Francisco and um, Sacramento and Napa Valley. And Napa Valley is a very uh, agricultural area, you know, full of wineries and that's where Nancy Pelosi's mansion is located. And so, where if you want to find an illegal alien, where are you going to go find them? You're going to go find them outside of the construction stores at five o'clock in the morning because that's where they all line up in the morning to get work. They all want to get paid in cash. So I found I speak Spanish and I uh, found these uh, illegal aliens outside of a Home Depot.
1: You speak fluent Spanish. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've been getting along well in Spain, right? Because okay. I can speak Spanish, yeah. but. Um, my grammar's not perfect, but I get a, get along pretty well. And every time I am in a country, where
1: did where you learn Spanish?
0: Well, in Arizona, in boarding school. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So you okay. know, you're right next to the border.
1: Mm-hmm. And then I
0: live in Florida, which is now you know you go to Miami, like in college where I did. It's practically English is a second language
1: there. Okay. To which nationalities?
0: You have a lot of Cubans, Venezuelans, okay. Colombians. Just Miami is a very Multicultural Hispanic city now.
1: Okay.
0: So everyone pretty much speaks Spanish down there. So uh, I met these illegals and I told them point blank in Spanish, I was like, "Listen, uh, we're filming a documentary. <laughs> I'll give you guys, I'll give you guys uh, cash. So can you come? Fifty dollars an hour." And I said, "We're gonna go film a documentary. Where are we gonna go?" I said, "Well, I just need you to come with me. We're going to." Um, go to a politician's house and we're going to film a documentary. <laughs> I was very honest with them. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. When the reports came out about this, like they like said, oh, Laura Loomer is uh, evil. She used these illegal Oh, they'd have been over the
1: moon. They'd have been like, a they, sound. Go on.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you, what are you going to do? You're going to go get paid $5 an hour slave, slave labor wage for, you know, cleaning some rich lady's garden or picking up her dog shit for $5 an hour? Or are you going to come with me and go hop over Nancy Pelosi's lawn and pitch a tent for $50 an hour, right? So they came with me. And uh, we- Oh, you give
1: them $50 per hour so then they'd sit on the lawn for longer because they're getting paid per hour. Well,
0: I didn't know how long it was going to be or how this was going to go down, you know? So, because I just had this crazy idea one day and I was like, okay, we're going to go do it. So we buy a tent and I had photographs of Americans, high profile um, cases of Americans who had been murdered by illegal aliens and I had the photos laminated, and I bought zip ties. And so I had the illegals, I filmed it, right? I live streamed it, because at the time I had been banned on Twitter. So I had Infowars, I had them pick up the stream, right? That was being streamed on the phone. and. It became the number one trend on Twitter. I hopped over Nancy Pelosi's wall to prove a point with the illegal aliens and filmed ourselves like pitching a tent on her lawn and then hung the photos with the zip ties. I had the illegals hang the zip ties of the people who had been killed. And then I spray painted in red uh, letters with uh, red spray paint the word immorality because she gave a press conference and said that Donald Trump's wall would be an immorality because it's not who we are as a country. And so, you know, it's like we're having a fiesta at the Speaker of the House's lawn. And I said, hey, everybody, Laura Loomer here. As you know, I'm the most banned woman in the world and I have nowhere to go. So I need sanctuary. And I was told that uh, Nancy Pelosi supports sanctuary and everybody's welcome here. So we pitched a tent and the cops showed up. And it was just the funniest shit in the world because Nancy Pelosi's on the is lo- on the line with the cops and there's nothing they can do and they start asking for the id and of course they're illegal aliens so they don't have id and the whole thing is being streamed and even though i'm banned on twitter it became the number one trend Trend on twitter yeah it became the number one trend so um you know there's multiple times i've trended number one i hang when i handcuffed myself to twitter after they banned me uh putting illegals on pelosi's lawn and it was just so funny because they said it was illegal and that it was racist to ask illegal aliens for ID. So, of course, I'm just, you know, playing with the cops, right? Yeah, and yeah. they they asked for the ID for the illegals. I'm like, what's ID? I thought that was racist here in California. And, <laughs> and long story short, because it, it because point. it was because it was live streamed and Nancy Pelosi was literally on the phone and everybody was watching it and talking about it. I mean, it was a huge story the fact that somebody actually went to the Speaker of the House's Property Uh and and brought illegal aliens to their home and said, okay, you want to you want to invade our country Then why don't you have the illegal aliens stay at your mansion? And I filmed myself like walking up to her kitchen Her door and trying to open her door. Right. I was like, is anyone home? We're hungry. We want to make a sandwich, right? So So then (laughs) she knew that if she had us arrested that it would make her look like a hypocrite so she just had us deported from her lawn and then the illegals were able to drive away and then a lot of people don't know this but the California governor Gavin Newsom is her nephew. I
1: didn't know that.
0: Yeah I didn't so know then that. I said you know the only reason why I didn't get arrested is because I had the illegals with me so let's go try this when we get dressed up as illegals and not bring the illegals with us next time. So then we did the same thing I brought my sanctuary tent to the California governor's mansion propped it on the lawn but I i put a sombrero and a poncho on instead of bringing the illegals with me and I got arrested for trespassing. It's like, so what? It's not trespassing for all these illegal aliens to they're invade our country, but it's American. trespassing to sit on your lawn. Exactly.
1: You've done some stunts. And it inspired
0: the Trump administration too because... Because um, they started
1: busting them to all their because cities. Because they
0: started... They were talking From about what Trump said after he yeah. saw my video and I wrote about this in my book as well uh, that, um, you know, there was a leaked report that was uh, later published that said that President Trump then, after that, wanted to uh, bus illegals to sanctuary cities to teach the Democrats a lesson, right? Which is what the Republicans have
1: now started adopting Now they're trying
0: to, you know, pretend like it's their idea when it was actually my idea first. And then Mm. Trump, of course, wanted to do it. But, you know, it's uh, just hypocrisy, right? We see the same thing all over the world where it's like, you don't want to protect Americans. We're not allowed to have proper border security, but all these elitist politicians are able New to world, do whatever yeah. they want.
1: You, we yeah. touched there on Russia. Just touched on the Ukraine conflict. Yeah. What's your view of what's going on in Ukraine?
0: I mean, I just think it's—I think it's ridiculous um, the fact that they're trying to jeopardize the safety of the entire world. Okay, and <laughs> the human race. So that they could get NATO membership. And Putin was very clear years ago about what would happen if Ukraine pushed for NATO membership. And people have to understand: like Russia wants to protect their own sovereignty as well. So you have, you have NATO membership countries on each side, right? Each border, and it poses a threat to Russian sovereignty if Ukraine were to become an, a member of NATO.
1: And it goes back so, against mixed agreement. Yes,
0: exactly. It's in it's in violation of agreements that they have with each other. So You know, I personally think that Putin is, is, is villainized. Um, I think that every single leader of every single country has an obligation and a duty to protect their sovereignty. And, you know, it's unfortunate. It's, um, I think that everybody is, you know, opposed to war. Everybody would prefer that people wouldn't die and that there wouldn't be an invasion and there wouldn't be a war. Uh, But at the same time, it's not our responsibility as American taxpayers to have to foot the bill for this. And, you know, when you look at the fact that they won't even pay for our own border walls and Americans lost their livelihoods during COVID and businesses were shattered. And we have, you know, thousands of homeless veterans sleeping on the streets of America. And yet we're they've literally shelled out over 200 million dollars of taxpayer funds in the United States to go to Ukraine.
1: 200 million. 200 million or 200 billion. Billion. I'm sorry, with a B.
0: 200 billion dollars with a B. Um, think, of what that could think
1: about what that could do at home for American people. That
0: yeah. Means. And there's not even proper accounting of it. I mean, there was even a liberal media report on CBS that said that only 30% of the funds have actually made it to the intended purposes. Yeah, of course. So it's money laundering. And I'm sure that it's just funny that the United States government wants us to think that we're actually, you know, trying to somehow help. Ukraine, right? We're fighting for democracy and yet the United States State Department quietly removed Azov Battalion and all these uh, Ukrainian militia groups that were listed as as terrorist organizations by the United States State Department. Okay, and, prior, and they prior to quietly the, They quietly take them off the list after they give them money.
1: And prior to the invasion, prior to what's happening there, um, the media used to call them out as well. As as far right racist Nazis.
0: Well yeah, groups. and I remember like the media the media didn't like them at first, remember, no. because of the whole uh conversation with President Trump and Ukraine, remember, that led to the first uh with the impeachment. And so it's so funny watching the media do like an entire one eighty, right, when it comes to Ukraine, depending on like Joe Biden compared to when you look at Trump's interactions with the Ukrainians and then uh, Joe Biden's interactions with the Ukrainians. It's just Unbelievable hypocrisy.
1: I was debating going to these disputed areas of Russia. Would you be interested in travelling there? Yeah. See what's going on? I would. I would.
0: Maybe that's one to look at. Yeah, exactly. And show people what it's really like. The in, a, in a war zone, right? Yeah, the <laughs>
1: if you said, I, was... I mean,
0: it's unbelievable. Like, the streets of L.A. look like an absolute shithole dump, okay? Like, you have homeless people everywhere, crack addicts getting paid by the government. You know, they actually give out drugs and needles to the drug addicts in the state of California. Which And then... that the streets of Ukraine look, like, bustling and gorgeous compared to the American streets. And it's like, meanwhile, American cities actually look like a war zone. And it's like, you mean to tell me that... That they're in the middle of a of a war in Ukraine, and yet you have all these people clubbing in Ukraine. It's just
1: it's kind speak, of ridiculous, yeah, yeah. right?
0: Like the the Zelensky's <laughs> wife goes on a shopping spree in uh, in Paris in the middle of a war, and we're supposed to believe that these people are like suffering when she's photographed in Paris. And you heard about this, right?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah, I did. It's
0: just unbelievable.
1: How do we believe anything we're told now? from the war on terror to the invasion of Iraq to Afghanistan to the lies about Assad in Syria. can't believe
0: anything
1: anymore. We as the Western governments have been on the wrong side of every one of them.
0: You can't believe anything. You have to follow independent journalists. And I think that's why that they view us as the real enemy of the state, which is, of course, the we're title of your book, because
1: a danger to we're a
0: danger to their narrative, right? They don't want people like us hopping on planes and going to these places and filming videos that are going to be seen by millions of people breaking their narrative. Which right? is
1: exactly why we're going to go do it.
0: Which is why we're going to go to Russia.
1: <laughs> we're definitely going now, but
0: We're definitely going to Russia.
1: Laura, we're probably three and a half hours in, yeah? And we have, and I believe I could sit here for ten hours, twenty hours, thirty hours, continue to listen to the tricks you've pulled, your journalism, yeah. some of the stories you've got. They're all wrote about in here. Well, many of them are wrote about in here up until three years ago. Um, is this from Jack? I love activists. So I respect Laura Loomer's desire to make Twitter better. Is this from?
0: That's this? from Jack Dorsey. Yeah. So that's I would exact, not chain myself so to he, a corporate office, but I
1: respect that courage. That's when what Jack I
0: handcuffed do- myself to Twitter. And I had the poster that said, nosy Jew banned. And then I, I posted all the Islamic terror uh, accounts that, that were still on online. There. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jack Dorsey was uh, was on vacation. And it was the number one trending story. I remember they were at the G20 summit. I think it was like Macron, Putin, and Trump, right? And uh, I remember people said, holy cow, Laura Loomer is now trending above Putin and Trump at the G20 <laughs> summit. And I had a friend of mine. Uh, who actually was there as a correspondent. And they said that uh, they were interviewing Macron and Macron was looking at his phone and Macron was actually talking about the fact that somebody was chained to Twitter, right? So like world leaders at the G20 summit were talking about the fact that I was handcuffed to Twitter. It was funny. But um, they asked him during a Rolling Stones interview, uh, they said something about like craziness. And they're like, speaking of crazy, what do you think about Laura Loomer handcuffing herself to Twitter? And then Jack, of course, Said has that. many interactions with me because I've ambushed him on multiple occasions, right? In Congress, at the Bitcoin conference. Um, he said, well, you can read the quote, something like, I said he, he said, I love
1: activists. I respect Laura Loomer's desire to make Twitter better. I would not chain myself to a corporate office, but I respect that courage. Jack Dorsey.
0: That's what he said, yeah.
1: Great going, Laura. President Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, so I'll put the different reviews on the back of my book. and You've got some
1: great reviews here. From and then my book
0: also, if you Dinesh open it up.
1: Sousa, I love Dinesh D'Souza. Uh,
0: you know, I wanted it to be a General tribute. Flynn. I wrote about you in the book as well and how they silenced you during your campaign in the chapter about my campaign. And um, the book as well is a tribute to people who have been censored. And so Bosch Boston, the Muhammad cartoonist, did all of the original uh, graphics. I, if you I scroll through Bosch. it, you'll see um, every single chapter has an original. So when I when I uh, got banned, right, I, I have an entire chapter in the book called Silicon Sharia, where I talk about how they ban people and how they have all this corporate interest with the Islamic world. And okay, yeah, uh, look, see, there's different Muhammad. These things. are all the cartoons. Yeah, from... those are all the cartoons. So, Jewish versus jihadi and. I love it. And you know, Bosch, of course, people don't know this, but there are Muhammad cartoons in this book. It's all original in original drawings.
1: In this book, yeah. And, where, course, where, 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 can, where can one buy this book? Uh, well, they someone. can
0: get it on my website, uh, in my shop. They can buy signed copies or regular copies and you might be able to find some copies online as well, but it's best to probably buy it from my website. loomerd.com
1: Because we've Loomerd. touched on it, but I bet there's a hell of a lot more and they're yeah. funny stories. They're enlightening stories. I mean, we, would they're be
0: here, we would be here for weeks on end if I told you everything that's Inspirational in the book, stories. But, yeah.
1: Let me just, um, on one more thing, because where can people, I want to go on to where people can support your work in the sense that, Everyone of you know what they've done to to me through the courts. They've bankrupt me and they've financially destroyed my life. They've done that in order to make it impossible for you to continue working. I've sat off camera and discussed with Laura. There's certain things she's not allowed to talk about, um, legally talk about, because they've done exactly what they've been doing to me. I've got got injunctions I'm not allowed to show a film. I've got injunctions I'm not allowed to mention journalists' names. The same tactics are being played out across the pond in the United States to Laura Loomer. Um, and they've and you've been left with a five-figure sum um, that you have to pay off. Uh, and the same sum. judge that was used six for figure the yeah. six-figure sum. Sorry, the same judge that was used for the Mar-a-Lago uh, yeah. Donald Trump raid was the judge that issued you this.
0: Yeah, so the same uh, judge appointed ordered, judges. The, the same magistrate judge. His name is Bruce Reinhart, actually, who ordered the raid on Mar-a-Lago is the one who uh, basically ordered me to pay uh, a lot of these fees. But it's not just that as well. It's, you know, and I'm, I, I, I want to be res- respectful of the court order, so I'm not really allowed to talk about certain things. Could but, you, end up you know, in jail? it's public information, and so I'm not, like, breaking any agreements by saying this, but, you know, it's public information that I've, you know, been ordered to – You know, pay fees, but I also am currently involved in a lawsuit with Facebook and Twitter as well. My RICO lawsuit, trying to get justice for the fact that they are providing material support to Islamic terrorist organizations by aiding and abetting them, and also uh, through what they've done to me, which is absolutely criminal election interference. And it's cost a lot. It's pretty much. you know, made it so they register these judgments on your credit as well. So it makes it so that you can't uh, can't uh, lease a car, you can't get a home. I had to actually took get rid car. of my car. They got yes, took your car. Yes.
1: To, can I? Because I'm going to set up. A, not spoke to you about this. I'm going to set up a give send go in the sense that if you've watched this, if you're if you've watched this, they've took Laura's car. Yeah, that then has an effect on everything. So rent. On, on the way you live your life and I know you haven't gone out asking people, I don't know why because people would want I, I think people will yeah. sh- people will support this. but you have a huge sum over your head that you have to pay off in, in an agreement. Um, so if you're watching this, there's a link in here. this is the link. Um, if you're angered or even if you're inspired by Laura's courage, tenacity, fearlessness, her fight against the system, the establishment, the cabal, the matrix, whatever you want to call it, her continued nonstop pestering of, of of the system and those corrupt officials in it and the embarrassment of them, then if you can support it, I'll ask you to support it. Laura uh, um, hasn't done this. I'm asking you to do it. Then if you can spare anything, then um, support it because it will make her life easy, which is not easy. I've just sat yeah. off camera and, and heard about her life and how how troubled and how difficult times are at the minute whereas you'll be sitting at home thinking oh because she has a platform or she has half a million followers that life's easy or there's some mass mass jewish people will think mass zionist right, right. israeli mossad <laughs> funded billionaires that are funding laura I know, where's they're, our
0: checks from Mossad? they I say know. that we're on Mossad's payroll if they're paying they are like seriously delinquent in their payments <laughs> because where's my check right yeah. But no, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if people want to support my work, they can uh, you know, com. donate on Loomerd.com. Yep. Uh, they can support my work there. They can subscribe to my Substack as well, lauraloomerd.substack.com, where they can, it's free to subscribe, but they can pay for a subscription. Uh, but yeah, you know, your life, just like your life is being held hostage mm. by your legal fees, my life is currently being held hostage by my legal fees too. And the laws are different in the UK and the US, but um, it's very hard. And people don't realize like when you have, you know, so many fees and so many different, you know, attacks against you, it like really has an effect on your ability to like, get a house, like, not like buy a house, like even rent a house, rent an apartment or, you know, lease a car. Like I had to turn my lease over because otherwise they would have taken my car. Well, they did take it. They did take the car. And then it's just so complicated. And the way that they try to ruin your life, you know, I want people to understand that just because you are a public figure doesn't mean that you are Living some glamorous life of uh, of a celebrity or some kind of rock star, right? It's hard, and I guess that's the trade off that you have, right? When you're a public figure, but
1: well, if anyone's earned this, if anyone's earned the support, or I think you're an inspiration to many. I think many people are going to watch this and think, wow, wow. And um, and read that and think wow so um, I want to thank you for your continued fight and I've been a fan so I've watched <laughs> I've watched from afar just thinking wow she keeps going and, um, well I
0: want to thank you you know you're an inspiration as well and you're a hero you really are I mean I know people want to call you uh, you know Nazi racist what do they call you anti-Muslim fascist right but I think that you're a hero you are a patriot and you are an inspiration and I think that over time. Regardless of the adversity that you faced, you're going to... The people that persecuted you and the people that attacked you and tried to jail you and ruin your life are going to be frowned upon in the history books because you are a hero and I hope that everybody, you know, fights for you and I hope that regardless of how your legal cases play out, uh, that uh, hopefully you don't, you know, hopefully you don't end up going to prison again, right? But not. if they do try to, um, if they do try to jail you again, I hope that people will... Um, you know, make their voices heard and, and fight for you. I hope that they will, because you don't deserve any of this. You don't.
1: I think one thing's for sure, we're both going to continue to cause them a headache.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, thank you, man. It's been an absolute pleasure, Laura. Yeah. I've enjoyed it.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Cheers. Carry on watching for more interesting guests. I'll talk to anyone. I'll debate anyone. I'll hear anyone's story. If you want to help me along that way, It's not free, I need your support. If you can support my family, that gives me my peace of mind. It means I can continue to do the work I do. You can do so at www.supporttommy.com. I appreciate every bit of support, as do my children. Gives me the ability to fly them out here to see me so I can stay in constant contact with them. I'm the platform and I'm censored, so I need you. I need you to share this content. Make sure you stay tuned for upcoming weekly guests, interesting guests, exciting guests, I'm Tom Robinson and this has been my podcast, Silenced.